0: Curiosity Stream is the streaming service for people who want to know more. And now check out
1: Curiosity's new series, Queens of Ancient Egypt. When pharaohs held the throne, their wives held the power. We see her taking precedence over the pharaoh, an absolute mastermind. All hail the queens. This is unprecedented.
0: Watch Queens of Ancient Egypt now on Curiosity Stream. With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com.
2: That way we can let Bill WD forty into the chat room to lube us up for tonight's show. You always want to go into a show nice and smooth, you know. D. Henderson, Eli McInnes, Dry Toast, the best name in on YouTube right there. Charlie Don't Surf. Nice to see you. Rafin, Christian Morales, Nick Adkins. Good to have you all here as we continue on with our roll call. Let's continue on. Digger Dog again. Paula Faust, welcome. And <clears throat> Who else is back? Superdower. Good to see you. And we got 30 seconds. Decipher, Tim Mothman and Tim Mothman's goatee. Two separate entities. Corruption Czar. Nice to have you here. Silent Listen. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Pam Harris, thank you for coming on in. And... Let's see 18 seconds. Trisha, nice to have you back. Friend of Squirrel, Aaron, Baca, nice to have you here. Lori Rosenfeld, good Canadian kid. How are you? And Android Paranormal, thanks for coming on in. Hi Pammy Smith. 3 seconds. Horns up. Let's rock. Hey, hey, hey. From the mountains of central British Columbia to you listening around the world, this, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott sitting in the captain's chair of soR headquarters we welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America digitally on Odyssey radio talk stream live and KPNL all of our archives are free join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio do old Dave the favor hit that subscribe button you can follow us on Twitter at spaced out radio Instagram at spaced out radio show and on patreon at the SOR Space Travelers Club. Our website spacedoutradio.com we have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot read the news wire check out our swag. tonight's show is brought to you by Chive charities help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive charities today you can find them. On our website. A great show of information tonight as legendary researcher Grant Cameron not only prepares for another NHL hockey season, but he'll be here to talk UFOs and about the phenomena as well. Then in our number three, Steve Stockton from Among the Missing is here with another creepy story. Then Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio will round things out with another cryptid reports all right let's get right to it shall we because we got a lot of things to talk about tonight grant cameron is a legendary researcher and author former international researcher of the year at the ufo congress and he became involved in ufology as the U, as the vietnam war ended in 1975 with personal sightings of charlie red star in manitoba in carmen home of Hetty belfort yeah, that story will be released, and it has been released many a times. But these days, Grant takes different paths sometimes. This time, it's about the phenomena. What is the phenomena? Is the phenomena everything? Is it godly? Is it a trickster? Is it brought here? Or has it always been? Grant Cameron is the reason why we do this show, and this is the reason why we bring him back on. Mr. Cameron, thank you so much for coming back on Spaced Out Radio again. How you doing, my friend?
3: Well, thank you very much, Dave. It's an uh, honor to be on night before the big season starts, and uh, I'm not looking forward to too much in the Jets. They had had too much money, and so signed two guys that everybody wanted out of here for eight and a half million dollars each for seven years. But uh, we're going to talk UFOs. It's just a little more exciting than hockey, so let's uh, let's do well, it.
2: I don't know, Grant, because you know my Edmonton Oilers. I think this is <laughs> our year. You know, Connor yeah, McDavid, do- Leon Draisaitl. You know yeah, they
3: always do well in the uh, the, um, the year and then as soon as the playoffs come they just poof out as my mother would say just mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> well, you know you, you don't have to be that rude to start this show right now. you know that you know I mean it, it's uh, it's our year. And, if any team- and then we got Lori,
3: Lori from Toronto, the Toronto My Beliefs. I mean, I know, we we got, I know. we got lots of fans here. Anyway, I know we do. Let's, let's get to the phenomena. It's more exciting.
2: <laughs> All right, Grant. Uh, you know, for a number of years, uh, everything seemed to be segregated. UFOs was segregated from the paranormal and the supernatural and aliens and Bigfoot and, and everything that kind of goes on in between. But more recently, there have been a number of people – who have come out believing that the phenomena is actually everything. Where do you stand on this? Uh,
3: I guess I started to go there in 2012 when I had this download experience that basically said, um, you had that question in 1975. 1975, I had two sightings, one in front of the car the first night. Second night, it came at me and then made a little turn and sort of flew back where it came from. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, what is this? I mean, I thought then it was E.T., and, um, uh, basically in 2012, I got this sort of download that said, you know, you asked that question, what, what was this, what's this all about? And it said, it was about consciousness. So I sort of made this move away from the nuts and bolts, UFO stuff. And a lot of people sort of attacked me for it, figured I'd lost my, my marbles. And now it's more common that people are talking about it. And, uh, the more I go along, the more I think that this is all going to be the same thing. And it's all going to end up um, dealing with the theory of reality. I think it's going to be almost what Chris Bledsoe talked about. It's going to end up being a spiritual phenomena, Or when you start looking at reality, if you look at um, the example I always use is the uh, the human cell. So in 1665, we discovered the cell. And then in 1835, they discovered that the cell was dividing. And they just said, oh, it's just a cell. It divides. No big deal. And then we discovered that the we, the more we learn, the more we realize that the cell is more and more complex and more and more complex. We realize that there's a, a trillion atoms that come in every time a cell divides. Uh, a trillion atoms come in from God knows where. And they all know exactly where to go, the three-dimensional spot where they're supposed to go at the right time in the right place. And these spindles form and then they separate and and uh, you have three three billion base pair uh, dna that's formed that matches the other dna in the in the cell and this is all done in 24 hours and there's 330 billion cells in the human body that die every single day 200 different types of cells and those are replaced by 330 billion cells of all exactly the same type and you the more you look at it the more you realize this thing is way more complex than it is starting and that's what's with the ufo phenomena the more you look at it the more you dig in the more complex it gets and the more um, the the more you realize you're getting closer to reality. But the key that I would say is you're never going to see reality. It's the old idea that you're always going to be looking at a, a desktop icon. You're looking at something between us and reality. You can never see reality. All we're doing in science and ufology is we're describing what's going on. We're not explaining anything. We're describing Moses goes down to the Red Sea, takes his staff, he hits the Red Sea, the sea divides, the children of Israel go through, they go to the other side. He goes to the other side, he taps his little staff on the on the water, the sea goes back together again, and it's like wonderful, wonderful, one nice little trick. Now, how do you how do you do the trick? You're just describing it, you're not explaining anything. I think the the one thing that I got a revelation. I don't think I've talked about it since I I've I've talked to you, and that was um, Mike Cullend. Mike Cloland, you've, you've had him on, haven't you? Yes. Okay, so Mike Cloland is the owl guy. He's famous for the owls, and he's got these obsessions and synchronicities with owls in his whole life. He's got thousands and thousands of people contact him about owl stories, about four four foot owls, and and uh, even Chris Peters, who's the um, uh, the stepson for. Uh, Barbara Streisand told me about his five foot owl. I said, it's five-foot owl? He said, Yeah, it was sitting in the bathroom. His, his wife described it. And he went running in there and there was this five-foot owl. I said, You sure it wasn't four foot? He said, No, it was five feet tall. He was standing on the on the kitchen counter or on, on the counter in the in the bathroom. He went to get his camera, He went back in, the thing was gone. And so th- when Mike Clellan did a, a regression, he was looking at a, a an event that occurred in Utah he was sleeping on the side of the road and he wanted, he had this out-of-body experience and he was suddenly, he was inside the craft and he slipped into this little gray and then he was walking down and he suddenly realized he was this little tiny gray and he has this sort of encounter where they say, uh, you, you, you agreed to this. And suddenly he realized that he had agreed to come into the world and to deal with, deal with this all thing. And he got all upset because he said, you didn't tell me it was going to be this, this bad. It was going to be, there's much pain and he got all upset. And then during the regression, it was done by Yvonne Smith. She asked him this question. He, he said before the regression, he said, when I'm under, ask me about the owls. Ask why I'm so obsessed with owls. And so she does. And this is one of the most insightful things I've ever heard in, in ufology or in the phenomena or in anything. He's, he, he's, she says to him, so Mike, what's with the owls? Why are you so obsessed with owls? And he starts to channel. He, he actually asked Yvonne Smith, he said, was I channeling? And she said, I don't know if you're channeling. And he starts, he goes from this little whispering guy who's talking to, the, he, he says, the owls are not important. The owls, don't, the, the owls don't mean anything. The owls are just a symbol. The owls are just a symbol that's attached to a door. It's the door that's important. You're in this little hall where you go and you see the symbol on the door and you say, hey, why is this owl doing on the door? And then you go, hey, I wonder what's behind the door. And you open the door and you see this vast, unexplored universe behind the door. That's what's going on. Whatever this phenomena is, and I call it the phenomena of the intelligence, whatever this intelligence is, it's moving us from one door to the next door, the next door, and you see this UFO in the door, and you say,
4: At Casper, we love all things sleep, so we thought it would be fitting to make a sale that covers, well, everything. Save up to 25% on mattresses and up to 50% on everything else you need for better sleep at Casper.com or a store near you through October 24th. Exclusions apply. See Casper.com slash promo.
5: Airline credit card rewards have helped grow America's travel and tourism industry. In 2022, 15 million Americans traveled domestically using reward miles, generating $23.4 billion for local economies, supporting more than 183,000 jobs. But now Congress is considering legislation that could eliminate credit card rewards and decimate the U.S. travel and tourism industry Tell Congress to support travel and tourism jobs and oppose the Durban Marshall credit card routing legislation. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com travel to take action paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition.
3: Man, what is this? My my experience in 1975, this glowing plasma object flew in front of the car. And I go, what is this? What is this? It's a symbol on the door. And when I went to the door and opened the door, I realized it got more complex and then you find they go you're another door another uh ufo experience and you keep going and the more you look at it the more it's like the cell it gets more complex and more complex and more complex and you get closer to reality but you're never ever going to see reality and that's what i think is going on so all the phenomena are the same thing they're all uh bizarre things that, that they're doing i i, I even did the, the lecture when i you had that conference one time i did the theory of wow lecture And I've got a book that'll eventually be coming out on the theory of wow. And that's basically what it is. All they want you to do is go, wow, what the hell is going on here? And when you do that, then you, 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 you explore. And that's how science and, and, and ufology move down the road. Unless there's curiosity, there's going to be no science. It's like Max Planck when he was 1874, he's his professor. He was the godfather of quantum physics. His professor said to him in 1874, I said, Max, don't go to physics. We've got it all figured out. There's going to be nothing to do. And that was 1874. And we always have this idea, oh, we've got one more piece of the puzzle to put in. My experience is the more you look, the more complex it gets, and the more magnificent it gets. And uh, that's basically what I think is going on. So they're trying to get you to go, wow. They're trying to get you to go to the door. They're trying to get you to open the door. And then you realize the universe is much more complex and much more complex. And you just keep going on and going on. And that's how science advances through curiosity. Curiosity makes you explore. If there's no curiosity, there's no exploration, and everything shuts down. They want you to be curious. They want you to move along and explore.
2: I want to ask you this: Is the phenomena God? Is the phenomena godly, or is it something completely different?
3: Okay, that's where I go to the 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 idea that I have the the right brain, left brain, which I think is a key thing that ufology and science leaves out is the idea that left brain is rational, analytical thought. It's the idea that there are, there are objects, there's separation. There's me and you. Uh, the right brain, the female right brain says everything is one thing. This is this mystical idea, the, the, the oneness of everything. Everything's connected, everything's alive, and everything's conscious. So the left brain wants to set everything up as nouns. So there's me and you, there's the good jets and the bad oilers, and uh, the referee is, is picking for the playing for the Oilers, and he's paid off. And you guys are dirty players, and, and it's that's the left brain, the left brain, and everything's a noun. So you have one big giant noun called the universe, and then you have another noun. It, it's made up of smaller nouns called galaxies, and smaller nouns called planets, and 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 smaller nouns called you know objects and atoms, and, and you go down and down and down. Everything's an object. Everything is is separate from everything else, and it's it, it's all in, uh, inert. And so the idea of calling it God is the same thing. It's giving it a noun. It's not a noun. It's it's one. It's the one. Whatever the one is, it's all alive. It's all conscious, and it's a verb. There is no nouns. It's all just one thing. It's like when you fall into the water and you you drop down into the water, and that we are in the water. We're very deep into the water. We're in the dark darkness of the water, and we can't see anything. And then from time to time, someone will have a UFO experience or a, a a channeling experience or a near-death experience or whatever, and they'll suddenly float higher into the water, and they'll they'll be able to see more because they're closer to the surface and there's more sun, and they'll they'll see a fish, and they'll say, hey, Mr. Fish, what level am I on? Where am I? Where, where is God? And they say, what are, you, what are you talking about, you idiot? You're in the water. It's just water. It's all water. And and that's the whole deal. We're in the water. We're just at these different levels where we can see different things. And uh, God is 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 not a noun. It's It's what it's all made of. And it's this concept that it's all alive. It's all consciousness. It's all one thing. And we are part of it. And we may be, we may be God ourselves. So God is, is a, is a verb. God is, is the sort of the ground force. It may be almost like uh, Desta Barnaby, who helps me edit books. Uh, her channeling the way she had described it is everything is, is, is sort of in the beginning and then things start to move. So once you have vibration, the illusion starts and and the the world starts to to uh, develop, and we are at a very low vibrating uh, part of the the world, so consciousness, if you want to go into the noun thing it's a thing that doesn't vibrate and 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 when it vibrates, the illusion starts, and the different worlds are created and the higher realms that we talk about UFO realms or spiritual realms are higher vibrating realms we're at a very low vib- vibrating realms. And we can go to those realms. We just don't know how to do it. And that's where we're being taught. We're not being given stuff. This is not a socialist uh, handout by Santa Claus on on Christmas Eve. This is basically them getting us curious and making us figure it out for themselves. They are not going to give us anything that you can't do your kids homework. And that's basically what I think is
2: going on. We're being led. We're
3: being inspired to go and figure it out for ourselves.
2: That's one thing that I have learned through the phenomena as well in the many conversations I have had, not only with you, but others that we know, like Nicole Sackage and and Tim Senor and many others. I've had this conversation with David Weatherly, who you know, uh, he's very much on the phenomena bandwagon and everything being tied together as well. You know, the way I look at it is the phenomena is very, very... It can be very, very pleasing. It can be very, very hurtful. It it, it gives you what you don't think you can handle. It, it's very, very pushy in a way. It, it can be a trickster. It can be vicious at times. It can make you laugh. It can make you cry. I mean, it's it's like it just, I, I don't know how else to explain it, Grant, but it, it, it's just there. And you have to follow that path once you've recognized it.
3: What, what I would say is that we are the trickster. We are the phenomena. We are the ones that are, there is, I don't believe there is any there as Jim Semivan said, there does not appear to be any there, there we are making the experience. Like you have a near death experience. You say if somebody has a good near death experience, somebody has a bad near death experience. So what is God, some kind of idiot that gives people bad near death experiences. And what you see with near death experiences is that the people who have the bad near-death experiences are trying to control the thing? They're they're afraid to let go. And I've done the psychedelics. I'm doing my second book on on, on psilocybin, and that's what I learned. The number one lesson was an, uh, surrender is the rule. Sur- uh, su- uh, surrender is the only rule. Is is this idea of surrender that we are we are creating the the phenomena that we are seeing, and we are placing the sort of the the, the stones on our own path. And you can see that through uh, one of the remote uh, the, um, phenomena that's related is um, lucid dreaming. That was done at Stanford University where they taught these students how to go into a lucid dream. And they what would, they would do in the lucid dream, it, once they were realized they were lucid in a dream, they would move their eyes from left to right, left to right, to left to right. And this would pick up on, they had them on, on an EEG and they would pick this up. They would see the, the EEG going back and forth and they would realize the person is in the dream and they would give them tasks to do. And in there, they, this is where this idea was that we create, uh, as Seth, the first channeler from the New Age movement, said, "You create the, you create the uh, everything around you. You manifest everything around you. There is no other rule." And that's in lucid dreaming. That's what they found in the lab at Stanford was that if you see an evil alien or an evil spirit or whatever in a lucid dream, do not run away. If you run away, you're in a lot of trouble. Same thing happens in psychedelics. Go towards it. Be curious. Give it a big hug and kiss and it will turn from an evil alien into a positive being and give you a message we are the ones that are controlling it we are i don't think to believe there's any out there out there and that's what jim semivan said and jim semivan you got to remember jim semivan got the the actual briefing i said that back in 2016 already i was told who briefed him i told when he was briefed i heard that whole thing and he's now confirmed that he got an a classified briefing and that's what he's saying and that's what the government is basically saying yes this phenomenon is real and we haven't got a clue what's going on so you have that sort of thing and you talked about this thing about the trickster uh, G- Jim Semivan talked about that as well, which is, is very insightful. He said, um, the, the phenomena drags you along. The, dra- the, the phenomena, he's, he's really mad about it. He said, I, I can't stand this. He said, they, they take you along, they tease you, they lie to you, they move you along, but they never take you home to meet the family. And that's how it works. It's like, they're not going to finish it off. You, they take you along and they're trying to keep you on the edge of your seat all the time where you keep going. They're never going to hand it over. They're never going to land on the White House lawn and tell us what's going on. That's what we do. We go into a foreign country and we say, we're here to bring you freedom and democracy, Jesus and McDonald's. And next thing you know, they're pointing guns and telling us, get the heck out of here. Leave us alone. Who the heck do you think you are? That's the way we do it. They're doing it the other way. They're, they're just trying to drag us along with curiosity and make us figure it out for ourselves. And uh, that's why we came here. We came here to learn. We didn't come here to get handouts. And uh, that's... Uh, basically sums it up for me. And, and that's where I listen to these people at the at the high end. I always said these aviary guys, whether it's Kit Green or Hal Putoff or Jim Semivan or Bob Bigelow, I said, I don't care what you think about these people. Listen very carefully to these people because they're basically telling you what's going on from time to time it'll slip. And that's what they asked Bob Bigelow. Bob, what was it all about? The Skinwalker Ranch, you owned it for 20 years. What was it all about? Without missing a beat, he said immediately, it's all about messaging. It's about messaging and games. It was games and messaging. And that's what it's about. It's about giving us a message. It's about leading us along. And, and we're here to figure it out. And we're here to, to learn stuff. We're not here to get stuff and uh, to be given stuff. This is not Santa Claus. This is like a, like a school.
2: Well, you know what I, I think that we are being schooled as we got about three minutes to go, Grant. I mean, the question is, what is this schooling about? Is it about trying to bring ourselves to a higher consciousness, to bring ourselves closer to spiritual purity? What do you think it leads?
3: Well, I think it's all the 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 idea of Maya, the the Hindu idea of Maya, that we are we are in this thing. We're learning lessons. We're um, it, I had the, it, this uh, whole. Uh, I did an interview with a guy, there was one guy in a float tank, the one girl was from Edmonton, your favorite place there, and uh, she was a a regressionist, and then there was a girl who had a a near-death experience that got thrown off a motorcycle, uh, face burst into the car con-
5: airline credit card rewards have helped grow america's travel and tourism industry in 2022 15 million americans traveled domestically using reward miles generating 23.4 billion dollars for local economies supporting more than 183,000 jobs but now congress is considering legislation that could eliminate credit card rewards and decimate the u.s travel and tourism industry tell congress to support travel and tourism jobs and oppose the Durban marshall credit card routing legislation visit handsoffmyrewards.com travel to take action paid by the Electronic Payments Coalition.
4: Experience the joy of home suite hosting with help from Ashley. Get your home ready for company with guest-approved essentials, now starting at just nine ninety nine ninety nine. dollars And right now, you can save on accessories store-wide to finish every look. Plus, take advantage of low monthly payments with 60-month special financing in-store only. Visit your local Ashley store to shop and save today. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax and delivery required. See store for details.
3: And then uh Roland Griffiths, who uh the ran the the psilocybin research, has now talked about this as well. Is that you get to this thing where you suddenly realize everything is perfect, everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. And the, the missing component is that we agreed to this. We agreed to come in here and we agreed to do certain things, and that it's all going along the way we planned it, and that when we die we end up in a situation where we go in front of a council and they say, how did it work out, Dave? How did it work out? And you can't bring up Hillary Clinton. You can't bring up the mother-in-law. You can't bring up the dog that ate your homework because they're going to go time out, time timeout. This is about you. It's got nothing to do with anybody else. You planned this. How did it work out? And that's what we're in here. We're in here to plan, to, to learn whatever lessons we are. And you and I have some sort of lesson to teach people on UFOs and, and reality and that sort of stuff. And I, I always say, it's like, uh, people, uh, consider life to be a a trial i say whatever happens you and i got to play in the super bowl we got to play in the stanley cup every single day we're in the stanley cup playing the game and uh, we couldn't ask for more and if you appreciate what you've got and you'll do the best you can to do whatever job you came in here to do that's all we got to do is figure out why did we come here what do we you know what question are going to be asked when we leave and why are we here and are we doing what we said we were going to come here to do
2: well, you know what? The question is, what are we supposed to do? Because I think for the most of us, the minute the phenomena hits us, we don't really know how to react as we've got about a minute to go, Grant.
3: Well, again, this comes down to the whole idea that if everything's perfect. Everything is going exactly the way it's going to be. We we get into the left brain mode where we say, what 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 should we fear? Who can we blame? And can we make some money from this? And and that's not the way it works. It's, it's about the fact that everything's going exactly the way it's supposed to be going. And that you're probably doing exactly what you're supposed to do. And you look at things that you're doing and realize that this wasn't chance. That the fact that you're running the show is not chance. That you probably plan to do this. And you and I had an agreement before we came into the world. And we said, I, I'm i going to do, I'm going to work. We live in Winnipeg. You're going to live in, in God's country in Vancouver there. And you, you're going to do a show. And I'm going to write books. And we're going to do this. And we had this all planned. And I don't think uh, a lot of stuff is is we believe in this random world that's all random and you start looking at the cell the trillion atoms that come in to form a second cell and within 24 hours and stuff like that i mean that's absolute nonsense i mean this that this is all happening by accident this is absolutely insanity the more you realize the more you look the more you realize There's no chance that this is is random. This is very, very complex, and it's getting more complex as we go along.
2: Well, Grant, I'm going to get you to hold on right there because we have you for another 90 minutes here on Spaced Out Radio. Grant Cameron, legendary author and researcher, breaking down the phenomena. What is it? Do you believe in it? Would you believe it's everything or nothing at all? Or maybe it's both. Spaced Out Radio continues greg cameron right after this don't go anywhere that was a good first half hour
3: yeah 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 i was okay yeah your hair yeah, i got your, your hair is looking
2: my... high and tight today
3: yeah i know i got i got scalped there Holy that's why i'll talk about i mean if you want i'll talk about that about the the idea of the good and the bad aliens I mean, the bad aliens, you know, we're going to go to another planet. We're going to steal some land. No, we're not. If I get this technology, we're going to work on the hair problem. That is important. We got to work on the hair problem. If we got this technology, we don't need to, you know, go and take over other countries. We need to solve the hair problem. And mm-hmm. and you get the, the, um, the, 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 bad, the bad aliens have no hair, all of them. They all have, uh, they're all problems with hair and all the good aliens have they look like you. They have the, the nice hair and the beard and, and, uh, these are the patterns i always pick up on uh, when i i look at uh, how people are describing and even the thing with the aliens where we get into the aliens you know they don't breathe they don't eat they don't drink and it's like what the hell are we really looking at here what, what's really going on here and uh when you get these oddities that's what you gotta you gotta observe is when you see the the horizon you gotta say hey is the world really flat i mean why is that ship disappearing and you see these oddities, and the more you pick up on oddities, you realize like, not this N.ET. This is something very, very complex.
2: Hmm. I agree. I absolutely. Agree. I, I, I'm
3: actually going to write a book called Extraterrestrial, maybe not. I've got the the outline, and it, it's when you look at it, it's pretty it's pretty convincing that this this is this is something else. This is, uh, and you see a lot of the big shots are are starting to talk that way now. I mean, Jack Ballet and. Uh, you know a lot of them help put off and all these people they basically say nah this is is something else it's portraying itself as et but it's i don't
2: know i think it's everything i think it is et i think it's it's what et does i think it's what humanity does
3: yeah well it could be simply a simple singularity it's the whole idea if there's no time and space then how big is the universe It's a singularity. It's right here now. That's what the beings said when I talked to the beings in Great Britain, which is kind of a weird thing. I had sort of enlightenment. Another person gave me something that fit in there, but I talked to the beings and this whole idea about, are you extraterrestrials? And they said, you know, do you want us to be extraterrestrials? We could be extraterrestrials. If you want, we could take you to our planet, but no, we've always been here. You're the visitor. And it's this whole idea that may all be just one thing. It may all be here. Now there's no time. There's no space. And it's all one little thing. It's just, um, there's no out there, out there. That's what she, what John Wheeler said. The, you know, the, the intellectual uh, successor to Einstein at Princeton. There is no out there, out there. This is a participatory universe. And this is a guy that came up with black hole theory and wormhole theory and it, you know information theory and, and just phenomenal thinker that, that just basically said there's no out there, out there. So what the hell was he talking about? I don't know, no but I, I, apologize. You, yeah. I apologize
2: I apologize for that. coughing into your ear. I got caught up laughing at uh, Cherry Pepsi Mike's comment here. Dave's lesson is how to impersonate a sexy Randy Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that got me. Got me good there, Cherry Pepsi Mike. Oh, my gosh. Wes H., how you doing? And who else is coming on in here? Just hang out with us
3: jay pepsi I'm, I'm doing canada dry here
2: i'm doing water well,
3: canada dry soda mm-hmm. for uh, cranberry soda
2: i'm doing water
3: canada dry i usually yeah, i got water here too
2: i'll have my ice camp in the morning and that'll be my sweet for the day mac geek how you doing If you're new here, uh, just so you know, we are a live radio show as well, so that's why we have to take our commercial breaks, but you guys get to hear behind the scenes. Hi, Bad Daddy. Nice to have you here. And if you're new here, do us a favor, hit that subscribe button, ring that bell as we are here seven days a week for your listening entertainment. And uh, yeah, CS, good morning, good evening, wherever you are, made in USA, good to see you again, my man. And uh Yeah. We got about 30 seconds here, Grant. Thank you to Simon, yeah. Big Dog, Mama Catherine, Human Carl, Lori, and Pam for the great super chats. We very much appreciate the love and support. Barry Brown, how are you? Hey, if you want to get some really cool swag. Head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, because we don't have ugly swag. No, we do not. Hey, look who's here. The not funny Paul Hynek. Right there. Not funny Paul Hynek. Yep. We love you, Paul. Hope you're doing well, my man. Barry Brown, how you doing, bud? And uh, here we go, Grant, three seconds. second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Reminder to all of you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davy the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on Patreon in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Here we go, second half hour with the man, the myth, and the legend, Grant Cameron, UFO researcher and author. We are talking about the phenomena. So, Grant, we're going to get right to it. Where do you think the phenomena comes from, then? Is it just all around us? Is it... Are we born with it? Is it internal? Is it human?
3: Well, again, uh, I say it's a verb, and if there's no time and space, then it's a singularity. It's all here and now. There's no out there, out there, as John Wheeler, the intellectual successor at Princeton to Einstein. He said, there's no out there, out there. This is a participatory universe. We are creating the universe as we go along, or as Seth said, you manifest everything around you. There is no other rule. That's the kind of stuff that really throws people off. It's like, "Oh, get out of here." Like, I mean, this is insane. The idea that this this simulated universe idea that you you met you you're seeing what you see and when you when you turn away and don't look at it, it it it's not there anymore. That's the kind of stuff where that's where we're headed. We're headed into this simulated universe idea that it's all one thing and it's all a thought. It's a giant thought.
4: Experience the joy of home suite hosting with help from Ashley. Get your home ready for company with guest-approved essentials now starting at just 999.99 dollars 99 And right now, you can save on accessories store-wide to finish every look. Plus, take advantage of low monthly payments with 60-month special financing in-store only. Visit your local Ashley store to shop and save today. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax and delivery required. See store for details.
0: As a roofer, I'm always on the go. So I need to be able to get things done from anywhere. That's why I partner with Beacon. With the Beacon Pro Plus app, I've got the brands I depend on, like Certainty Landmark Pro, right at my fingertips. It's like having my Beacon rep in my pocket 24-7. I rely on Beacon because I never stop building, and neither do they. Now through November, purchase Certainty
1: through Beacon Pro Plus and earn up to $750. Beacon, always building.
3: It's like Maya, it's the illusion, It's uh, the, the, the physical universe, I think, in the end will, will fade away. It'll be like uh, the illusion that we have that things are solid. When we know that it's like 999999999999 uh, percent space, it appears to be, to be uh, real. And that's the, the problem we have is we're relying on, on uh, perceptual reality, on what we see. And perceptual reality has always been wrong. Every single time we thought the world was flat because it appeared to be flat. It makes sense. It's flat, but it turned out it wasn't. It looks like the sun's going around the earth. That's the way it appeared. Perceptual reality. It was wrong. Everything was solid. That was wrong. And it's just every time we go along and the more we learn with science, the more we realize that everything that we realized that we believed is basically wrong and that it's going to be this really weird world where it's the they're playing aliens, we're playing humans. Uh, you may be an alien next time, and it's all it's all thought. All the worlds a stage. All the men, women, and aliens are but actors. They have their entrances and exits, and each man plays many roles. So it's this whole idea of what is reality. So I, I, I'm working most most mostly, I guess. So I define my work now is the search for reality. What is actual reality? What is really going on uh, beyond you know counting how many red ones, how many green UFOs there are and all this kind of stuff. When you start looking at the, the whole reality, you start to understand that it, it's very, very complex and it's not what we think it is. It's, it's going to be built on things that are that are um, indirect, uh, almost like the I remember when I was in university, first year of university, uh, the astronomy professor said, uh, prove to me the world is round, and everybody tried to do it, and there was no way you could prove to the guy that everything was wrong because people can say, "Oh, the world is wrong because there's pictures." Well, if there's if the world is wrong because of pictures. Well then, UFOs exist because they, they have pictures of UFOs. Astronauts said the world is round. Well, astronauts also say uh, Edgar Mitchell said that Roswell was real and, and there's crash flying saucers and stuff like that. So you, you can go through and you can you can knock them off one after another. And basically, uh, a lot of it is faith. We're believing things because of things we were taught. And um, I had the the I guess the the um, the good fortune to see a UFO because. Um, if you don't see a UFO, I can see that you're going to be skeptical. Because I even when it comes to like death, when my father just before my father died, he saw his his uh, father, and he didn't tell me about it. But I yeah I think of the story and I but I still in the back of my head I said I don't know if that's really true. If they he really did, maybe he saw something else or whatever. But when you see it yourself, that's when when it comes down to actual reality. It's what you see. It's not what 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 you hear because what you hear. And what you a, a, analyze is left brain. And I found when, when my mother died, that was one of the things I discovered. I was looking when my mother was dying out of fight, real bad five weeks as, as she was dying in the hospital. I was there all the time. And um, the thing that, that occurred to me was I suddenly lost my faith. I suddenly, because I'd spent my whole life working on death and dying, and suddenly I'd lost my faith. And then I say to my mother, "Mom, it's going to be okay." And I tap her on the head; she couldn't talk anymore or anything like that. I said, "It's going to be okay." And then I think to myself, at least I hope so, because it was like when you build things on rational analytical thought, what happens is when you is Mike Tyson said, "Everybody talks big until you get the first punch in the face." And that's what happened. Once you get the punch in the face, then the whole thing collapses like a house of cards. And that's what happened to me. It was like my mother lost her faith. I lost my faith. It was like, it was suddenly like it was for real. She was actually dying. And that's what I found with, with the UFO thing that, that I had the advantage that I saw a UFO. I didn't hear stories about UFOs. I saw it and I know what I saw. And the same as I had a download experience. So I know download experiences are real because I had the experience. And so you have people who are describing things based upon left brain, look in the past, what what kind of material have you got, what have you read and stuff like that, which all falls apart, or actual experience, which is why you've got to listen to the experiencers because they're actually having the experiences. Everybody can say they know what's going on based upon logic and and rational analytical thought and stuff like that, but that doesn't count. It's the people who are having the experiences, and there are people who are get in the field, who have who have interacted with higher levels of whatever this this phenomena is and are able to to bring it back and that, that those are the people I listen to
2: grant we see many people who have had alien encounters all of a sudden be driving through the forest and have encounters with sasquatch or or all of a sudden their house out of nowhere becomes haunted and the phenomena just seems to follow them around once they've noticed something, this doesn't happen with all experiencers, but more and more we're seeing it happen. Why do you think this is all of a sudden coming out of the woodwork?
3: Well, it, we're, we're, we're in an awakening thing. We're, we're in a thing where people have talked about the veil is thinning that we, the more we talk about it, that what the phenomenon is doing is raising the zeitgeist. So let me give you an example. I always talked about Bob Bigelow bought the ranch, and everybody says, "Oh, he bought the ranch," and there was these UFOs. And I said, "No, no, it had nothing to do with UFOs. I mean, as much as they wrote reports on UFOs and stuff, it had to do with the fact that that this uh, guy went to there and he saw this this uh, object floating around, and and he they were all interested in the portal." And they were interested in the woman takes the groceries in and puts the groceries in the counter and and in the in the uh, puts groceries away and comes goes to the next room comes back and all the groceries are back in the bag. It was all this this weird kind of stuff that the, these people were 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 trying to experience. And that's I think what 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 we're looking at is the phenomena. If you're having the experience, it's, it goes to this idea of of did you agree to do this? So if you agreed to do this, then this ain't happening by chance. The fact that you have this experience, and that people will always say this. They'll say, oh, I have this experience. I don't think I'm, I've am i been abducted. I think I'm just talking to aliens. I, they come in my dreams, and, I, and then I go, oh, okay, did you, anything else ha- weird happening in your life? And they go, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, this happened. Or 37% of all experiences say, oh, yeah, I had a near-death experience. And most of them say they had two near-death experiences. I'm going, oh, wait, is this random? Do you think this is actually happening, that somebody has uh, gets abducted, and at the same time they're getting a, a near-death experience? None of this stuff is random. This is all planned. This is all... So if you come in and you have this, this experience where you're, you're, as a kid, you're being abused or whatever, and then you, you dissociate and suddenly you're talking to dead people and, and all this kind of stuff, and then you have UFO experiences or the aliens come to you in your room, this is not random. This is, this is all planned. And that's what people will say, which is one of the, the problems with people describing the aliens as being extraterrestrial from another planet. When you start looking at this thing, none of that makes sense. I remember asking Betty Andreassen. I said to Betty Andreassen, she had her first experience in 1946 actually having an encounter with, with beings. I said to Betty, I said, hey, Betty, did the alien ever get any older? You're like 80 years old now. I mean, you're this little girl. Now you're 80 years old. Did the alien ever get any older? And her husband answered, Bob Luca said, no, but aliens have a long time. And it's like this left brain is trying to justify this. Oh, aliens have a long time. You can ask anybody, did the alien ever get any older? Nope, nope, the alien never got any older. And then you you, you talk to people. I think it's 25% of all people out of the 4,200 that were done, uh, talked to by free, that said 25% said they had a, a, a an encounter with his being in a last lifetime. I mean, if the alien never gets any older, and if it was in your last lifetime, what are we looking at? What's really going on here? It's like you start looking at this stuff, and it, it's, it starts to really get really weird, and you start to realize – this is not what we think it is. It's, it's, and so you got to look at all these events and say, is this a random event? Is this something that I brought on? Is, is this something I'm, I'm, I'm part of it. And that's where you see these experiences. It's not everybody has the experience, but when you get people like Chris Bledsoe or, or, uh, you know, Sherry Sherry Wild or these people like that, when they get it, they're getting it in spades. And that, that's not, that's not by chance. And then you, you take a look at the, the whole event where, uh, Sherry Wilde believes it's a random event. And then she says, I suddenly one day she says, I'm sitting at the computer and I, I wake up and I'm at my computer and I'm wake and I go, What what am I doing? I wake up I'm, and she looks at her, her computer and she sees this typing. She goes, I never have the word program. What what's this typing all about? And she looks, Oh no, we're not going there. No, we're not doing that. And it was her experience. She started to write her experience. And then she said, I'm not doing it. Nope, nope. And then Da says to her, she can hear Da say, Timing is everything. Timing is everything. Yeah, this is the time. And she said, I'm not writing your damn book. And you start to see this thing that the being is actually saying, Sherry, have you forgotten the promise that you made? That was the book she wrote, The Forgotten Promise. Have you forgotten the promise that you made? You came into the world and you promised to do this. And then she tells this bizarre story. I always get her to tell the story about being in the car. I said, Sherry, tell the story about the being in the car with the with the screen. And she's, I'm driving along, and suddenly there's a screen in the, by the car. And she says, What are you doing? I got to drive. I, I can't be looking at this screen. What are you What are you showing me? She stops. She says, What are you showing me? Well, oh, this is the first scene to your movie. And that's what the, you see, this whole idea, that people are being driven. They're being told to do this. I'll ask lots of people, Nancy Tremaine, who I helped publish her two books. I said, Nancy, I said, do, 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 you, do you think that you were told to write the book? Oh, yeah. she And she starts describing it. People will say this all the time. Oh, yeah. They're, they're telling me to write a book. They want me to talk and, and this sort of stuff. And you, you get this idea that this is not a random experience, that whatever this phenomena is, it's trying to raise the zeitgeist. So you have you have experiences where p- nowadays, uh, say, go back 100 years. Nobody knew what UFOs were. The word didn't exist. Nobody knew nothing about UFOs. Area 51, nobody knew anything about Area 51. Uh, nobody knew anything about near-death experiences. And what you have is these experiences. So the phenomena has all these people with near-death experiences, and all these people start seeing it, and Area 51, and UFO sightings, and near-death experiences, all these near-death experiences since we invent- invented uh CPR in the 1950s and uh trauma medicine in the 1960s. And you get all these near-death experiences. So now you have a zeitgeist that's completely changed. You may not believe in near-death experiences. You may not believe in Area 51. You may not believe in UFOs. But everybody in the world, you can go to the darkest corners of the world, they know it. And Skinwalker Ranch. You know what Skinwalker Ranch? You can go to China. Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, I know what that is. And that's what they're doing. They're raising the zeitgeist. And that's what Max Planck says. The they, they, you do not con- what if you could
5: choose a medical provider who makes you the priority a provider who truly listens to your concerns answers your questions and explains your treatment a provider who sees you as more than just their next patient for more than 50 years physician associates have been going beyond for patients providing high quality care that's as personal as it is comprehensive giving you the confidence that when you see a PA their only priority
3: is you learn more at PA's Go beyond.com. Convince your opponent yet you're right by convincing them they're wrong. It, it science advances when your opponent dies, and the new generation is not offended with the idea. So that's what's happening they're raising the zeitgeist where all these things are happening. And then you go to the like Nicole Sackage's young kid, say, Hey, man, Will, do you believe in uh, ghosts? Do you believe in this? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's the old people. And that's what happens. The old people die out, and the new generation will come. And the zeitgeist is being raised, the consciousness is being raised where everybody knows what a near earth experience, even with psychedelics. People like, I just heard a, a podcast today. People know what DMT is. People know what 5-methoxy-DMT is. Everybody knows what psilocybin is. And they've raised the zeitgeist to this whole thing. Everybody knows. They may not have done it or whatever, but this, these ideas are floating around now. And the more they float around, the more the consciousness rises. And in the end, everybody's going to make the right decision. Everybody's, when the young kids come along, they're going to make the right decision and go along with it. And that's what they're doing. They're just raising the, the zeitgeist, the consciousness, or, or people will talk about the veil, the, the veil, the the thin thinning of the veil where it's getting closer and closer where people understand this kind of stuff and that's what they're doing they're slowly moving along we've got forever to figure this thing out there it's not like they're going to land and and tell us what's going on they 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 just gradually release this stuff and you see them going from one thing to another so they come in wooden ships then they come in 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 uh uh, the Foo Fighters and then they come as green fireballs then they come as a Damski crafts with the balls under them. then they come as flying saucers with windows then the windows disappear now they're coming as orbs and you see this phenomenon they just keep going that's okay let's do crop circles now okay let's stop crop circles or the, the ground traces. Like, people don't realize this. Ground traces were big when I wrote my first book in 1975. Ground traces, they haven't been a ground trace. There has not been a UFO that landed and left tripod marks and burnt out the ground for 25 years. It doesn't happen. Same as the nuclears. They're, oh, the nuclears are interfering with our nuclear weapon solids. I said to Robert Hastings, hey, Robert, when was the last nuclear weapon thing? He said 2010. That's like 13 years ago. And before that, you, the ones that people are talking about are going back to the 1960s. These are phenomena that happen. They do it and then they go on to something else and they go into something else and they just keep changing the phenomena all the time to keep us interested. And what they're doing is they're raising the zeitgeist, they're raising the consciousness up where everybody realizes this is not a flesh and blood, a nuts and bolts world. This is something weird. It's getting weirder and weirder and weirder and they're getting us ready to understand and and moving us from one door to the next door to the next door, open that door, take a look. Open next door, take a look, and we we keep moving along, and that's that's how this thing advances.
2: Grant Cameron is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. We are talking about the phenomena. What is it all about? How does it affect us? Grant, you mentioned children. I even look at my own children. You know, they believe in ghosts. They're seeing things. They're seeing objects. They're seeing different opportunities. And they're kind of like shaking it off their shoulder. Like, yeah, it's it's all part of the game. It's like we're we're supposed to believe in this. We're supposed to not fight with this. Do you see children... You know, I'm saying between, say, the ages of, of zero and 15 years old, being more leaders in this field in understanding what the phenomena actually is.
3: Yeah, that's, that sort of thing happens. And, and whether, whatever it is, it's like you even had to go back to, when was it to be, the 1970s uh, near-death uh, research on, on death. There was almost no discussion whatsoever about reincarnation. Now it's like a common discussion, but that was like an Eastern idea. But with the, the internet, which I, I'm writing a book called The Gifts. I'm actually editing it right now called The Gifts, where I talk about things that we think were random, that they just came along. And you start looking at where computers came from, where the internet came from, and you realize this may have been given to us. Because the first guys that invented the computer back in the 1960s, they called it the Intergalactic Communication Network. 1962 this is the guy that invented the mouse that invented the, the idea of having a, a screen that had the typing on it and you sat at a, at a little station you had your own little computer and stuff like that. That's what he called it the international the intergalactic uh, communication network and you you see the, the, the phenomena doing these weird things where they give us uh, like the internet is basically like the akashic record. So it's now even with uh, I'm using chat GPD uh, the the AI, to edit my manuscript and, and you see this whole thing where you can sort of have a chat with this thing. And it, it just sort of links into this stuff and, and pulls everything out of the, you can get anything you want. And that's, we didn't have and in our day, you had to go to the library and look stuff up. You had to figure stuff out. Now you just go to Google. I'm, I talk to my Google, my, my, my uh, phone all the time. Hey, Google, ask this question or that question. But I did find there's a problem with AI. People talk about AI and I can warn people, watch out for AI. Because AI, the, the, the Internet AI, uh, is actually not linked into the Internet. And what they use is Wikipedia. And anybody who knows the whole thing about Wikipedia knows that it's run by skeptics. they could they, this, they skeptical gorillas or whatever they call themselves. And if you, can, you, you end up with, uh, like Rupert Sheldrake, a, a pseudoscience. And they, they'll use the word pseudoscience. And I, I was actually working on my manuscript. It's kind of funny. I'm working. And I mentioned Roswell in my manuscript. And I was editing it. And then I'm reading it over. And all of a sudden, Mogul Bloom. What the hell Mogul Bloom? I never said that about the Mogul Bloom. And that comes off Wikipedia. So they were starting to stick this in. So then I have to make my, when I do the prompt, I say, do not use the word uh, pseudoscience. Do not use the word Mogul Bloom. And you got to realize that they're pulling this stuff off uh, off of Wikipedia. And uh, it's, it's amazing stuff, but that's what the kids are, are able to, to grab onto now. And that's this idea of the Akashic record, the, the Akashic field, that everything is stored. And that's what the internet is. It's basically a lower level of the Akashic field where you can tap into anything. You can get any answer you want. And that's how the phenomena works in terms of uh, channelers, that they're able to tap in. They're able to get a better signal on the internet than you and I get in there. And they can actually go in there and, and you ask them a question. That's how you used to do to desta. When I learned to destica to channel, I would just say, hey, ask them this. Ask them that. And just ask all these different questions. Or I had this chance the, the, the beings in Great Britain wanted me to interview them. I said, oh, fantastic. Oh, sure. And I would ask them these questions and stuff like that. And that's the whole idea. The, the 40% of all UFO experiencers say at one point during their experience they knew the answer to everything in the universe. And near-death experience, 31% of all people who had near-death experiences they at one point in their experience, they knew the answer to everything, which means everything is known. The aliens give you access to this. They know everything. Whoever these beings are, they know everything. They don't need to check our emotions and you know, our grass and explore like that. They know everything. It, all the answers are there. It's the ability to tap into the answer. And that that was particularly enlightening to me when I started talking to people who claimed they knew the answer to everything in the universe and it faded away as they came back in. All the answers are there and we can tap into it. And it's just uh, moving along as we gradually get closer and closer, higher, higher vibration, and we get closer to the answers. Uh, and it's all about, uh, not about, Winning or losing, it's about learning, and we keep coming back. and We keep running the plate till we get it right.
2: Three minutes to go, Grant. Before we got to go to break at the top of the hour, Grant Cameron is our guest tonight. Grant, you know when you when you talk about how fast this moves and where it's moving to, and and where it goes, where do you see the phenomena going? What, what's the end game here?
3: Well, it's it's a more spiritual type of thing, realizing that this this is all going to be simulated universe. It's all going to be thought generated. Uh, the physical world is going to fade away. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be like for a lot of people are going to figure we're going back to Sunday school and they're not going to want it. And I think that the, uh, what I see is that the people are hanging on to this nuts and bolts thing and the skeptics, that the skeptics are always wrong. Left brain, if you look at the research that was done with, with uh, left brain, this whole idea that there's a thing in the left brain called the left brain interpreter. So you get two pieces of information, and something is unknown in between. And what the left brain does, it's it immediately will put an answer in there. And once it gets the answer, it will never back off that answer. It, it becomes the skeptic, and it will fight, and it will argue, and it will never, it will never back away, even when it's explained why it made a decision. And that's that's where we are. Where the it's a matter of funerals. Science advances one funeral at a time. And on a number of issues, I think we're only a couple thousand funerals away from, from the, these things breaking uh, loose. The idea that, that this may not be ET, that it may be, as Jacques Vallée says, like looking at a screen instead of looking at the screen, which is not a moving movie screen. It's 24 frames being moved at 24 frames a second. There's still images being shown to us. Instead of looking at that, Jacques Valet says, I'd like to turn around and look at that little light coming through the wall behind me. And when, when the when the movie's over, I'd like to get the key and go into the projection room and find out what's going on. That's where we're moving. I think we're getting closer and closer all the time. We're never going to get to the end. That's what we also got to remember. You're never going to see absolute reality. Reality is not seeable. You're just going to get closer and closer and it's going to get more complex, more magnificent as you go along, as, as we move. And the universe is actually getting more intelligent, bigger, more complex as we move along. So that that's what it's about. It's about learning and about this joy of, discovering uh, bigger and more magnificent things. And uh, the universe just unfolds and it'll never end, but we'll never get to the
2: end of it. We'll never figure it out. Well, that's the hard part is, you know, as being human, we want answers. We want to know, we want to push things to the limit until we find yeah. those answers.
3: Yeah, we, we, we live in a biblical type world where we believe in the end of the world. I mean, we got one more piece, you know, one more piece, and then Jesus is going to come back, and it's all going to be over, and the world's going to end, and all. We, we believe this kind of world. That's what we've been brought up to, to believe, and in the end, there is no time. There's no space, and it's all a loop, and it just feeds into itself, and it just gets bigger and bigger and more complex as we go along, and there, there is no end time. And even if we do destroy the world, we come back somewhere else. You keep running the play till you get it right. It doesn't really matter whether we destroy the world. People get upset when I say that, but that's true. I mean, it doesn't really matter what happens and what we do. It's all about lessons. And when you do things that are stupid, your lessons get tougher and tougher and tougher. And the the, the temperature gets warmer and things happen. And and it's just different lessons. You get easier lessons or, or harder lessons, depending upon what you input into the system.
2: Grant Cameron is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. We're one hour down, one hour to go here on the mighty SOR as the legendary Grant Cameron, author and researcher, joins us tonight to talk about the phenomena, and eventually we will get to some UFOs. Not as Winnipeg Jets, though. Might be a tough season for them. Not my Oilers, though. We're going to win the Stanley Cup. Yes, the hockey banter starts. And we only got eight months to go until we see the finish. Spaced Out Radio continues right after this with Grant Cameron. All right, boss, we got six minutes. Six minutes.
3: Jets are tied for first place right now, man. What are you talking about? That, that's the whole thing about reincarnation. Hockey's like reincarnation. Oh, hell. You get to start over and over again. You start in first place again every year.
2: Every year. Yep. <laughs> You're playing for a draft pick. That's all I'm saying. And hopefully it's a top 10.
3: That's that's the only thing we can get is draft picks. Otherwise, nobody wants to stay here. we got to get the, the draft picks who have no choice but to come here.
2: Mm-hmm. Otherwise,
3: nobody wants to come here. That's our big problem. We couldn't trade Hallibuck and Shifley because they, they basically nobody nobody wanted them. They, we were the only ones that could take them.
0: <laughs>
2: Grant, I'm going to put you in the green room. I'll be right back, okay? Okay, have a good one. Be right back, people. Pay hey Parker, how you doing, uh, dude? Thank you for that great super chat. Very much appreciate the love, man. Who else has joined us? Let's get Grant back in here. Bowling,
3: bowling. You're gonna man. go bowling. You have bowling alleys there, and-
2: I we have are a five have? pin. We have a five pin. That's how old yeah. school we are.
3: Well, that's the thing. America, that's, uh, America's into bowling. Canada, it's hockey. I don't think we, uh, maybe we have one 10-pin lane left. Maybe,
2: I don't know. I don't know. Major Lee, how you doing? TMI, how you doing? Guero, how you doing? Welcome to SOR Chat. If you have questions for Grant, put them in capital letters. I will try and get to them. Look at, look at, look at this guy. Look at this joker. We have too many Canadians on this show already. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: All right, big thank you Simon, Big Dog, Mama Catherine, Human Carl, Lori, P- Pam, Cat Chaser and Dude for the incredible Super Chats. It's a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis, so thank you so, so much. Oh, hey, Clam, how you doing, buddy? And you can shop at our store on our website, spacedoutradio.com. We do not have ugly swag like other people do. We got nice swag. Go pick some up today. Here we go.
1: You're
0: listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Here comes hour
2: number two of Spaced Out Radio tonight. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, Talk Stream Live at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Please join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. The only thing I want, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Bagare. Bagare is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website spacedoutradio.com We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join us on the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. Here we go, another fast hour coming up with Grant Cameron, author, researcher. We are talking about the phenomena. What is it? What's it all about? Grant, thank you so much for being here. Well,
3: thanks for having me on.
2: Before we get to some UFO chatter, I want to ask you, did, with everything you've learned about the phenomena that it just is, and that's probably the easiest way to put it, does that mean or have you concluded that we are in a, some sort of simulation or matrix that we are living in?
3: That's, that's where we're headed. That's where um, I think all the... Arrows are pointed towards that kind of world, whatever that is. People, uh, the, I, where I disagree with people, they sort of make it look like a computer and somebody's running the computer. Uh, I don't think that's the thing. It's it's this idea that it's always been alive. It's it's this uh, singularity that's um, that's conscious, alive, and everything's connected inside of it. Uh, that's where we're headed in that direction. It's it's away from the nuts and bolts thing. And that's where I, I bring up the whole idea about the aliens that when I, I'm writing this book, when you start looking at the aliens, it really starts to get strange. I mean, as, as David Jacobs points out, you get the aliens who do this, this mind uh, thing where they look in the eyes and they're like one inch away from your face. And he asked them all, could you, could you sense, could was the alien breathing? They said, no, the alien wasn't breathing. The alien ain't breathing. We got a problem here or Something, something's going on is, and nobody's seen the aliens chest going up and down uh the aliens have their their skin is uh without flaws it's like rubberized there's no wrinkles in the skin and uh it doesn't eat it doesn't drink it doesn't sleep and 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 it doesn't have any i've always pointed this out it doesn't have any clothes on and doesn't have any uh sex organs doesn't have If you look at the alien autopsy um uh video they seem to get it right it doesn't have any nipples doesn't have any uh sex organs doesn't have a belly button and you start wondering, like, what are we de- dealing with? And it never gets any older. And it's in a in a past lifetime. And that's when it, this whole nuts and bolts thing starts to collapse. And you start wondering, wh- what are we really, uh, what are we really dealing with? Or even the the um, the abduction phenomena, where there is an event taking place. But when you start looking very closely at the people who are having the events, you start to see Mike Clellan says, "I'm out of my body." I'm floating above the craft, and now I'm in the craft, and I slip into this little alien, like a suit, a gray suit, and I slip into the suit, and suddenly I'm a gray alien. And you get uh, Betty and talks about coming back to her, her um, trailer after and she there were six books written on her abduction experiences, and she comes back and she says I go into the bedroom and I'm sitting on the side of the bed. And uh, Ron Johnson, who I've uh, interviewed numerous times, said um, all the time out of body experience. The guy that runs MUFON for japan twenty two experiences with the grays in two thousand and twenty two he said every single one of them was out of body experience. He had learned how to do it, interact with the beings, and that 's the thing you, this whole idea that it 's not what you think it is there's a there's an abduction event taking place, but the, that starts to explain how can you go through windows and walls because it 's not a physical event it, you're taking there 's a physical uh, thing on the other end where it, it you can have bodies marks on the body and all these kind of things. But in terms of the the event, you start wondering, what are we really doing here and, and what's really going on? Or um, somebody asked a question about the, the conscious craft. I wrote the book called um, Alien Sky Pilots. And I look at this whole thing of these 35 people, 36 people that came to me, just sort of all appeared out of nowhere, all telling me these stories about flying the craft. And the first woman that came to me, I thought she was absolutely insane. Like, you flew the craft? Come on. It's like, yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever. You're 75 years old. Like, why would they let you fly the craft? She says, well, you know, it's, it's flown with consciousness. And, and when she said that, I went, what? What? Because I had had this consciousness download. And that's why they put me into connection with this woman. And that's when you start seeing this whole idea that people on board the craft start to explain, start to describe stuff that does not happen in the physical world. It is not the physical world. Otherwise, it still wouldn't be happening. What they'll say is, for example, they'll go on the craft and they'll say, I could see him 360 degrees. That's out-of-body experience. Anybody who's in an out-of-body experience will say, I can see him 360 degrees. That makes no sense. If you're going to make up a story about being on a craft and being abducted, you're not going to say, I could see him 360 degrees. Chris Bledsoe, piles of them all tell the story. Uh, Terry Lovelace tell the story. We, we saw the craft. It's 30 feet on the outside. They went inside the craft, and it was like the size of a football stadium on the inside. And that, there's no way. That, that, that's not the physical world that starts to give you the indication that something really weird is going on and it's not the physical world that your mom and dad grew up in. And you have the, the idea that, that there's telepathy, that the alien's mouth doesn't move and and that everything's happening by telepathy. And then the, the biggest thing is when people talk about the craft, they say the craft is alive, it's conscious. And that what you do is you put your hand on a panel or on a ball and and, and you become one with the craft. You touch the craft, you interact with the craft, and you become one with the craft. And whatever you think is what the craft does. And people will describe this over and over again. The being will say to you, to, to, like they said to Ron Johnson, where would you like to go, Ron? Ron says, I'd like to see the Milky Way from a the distance. They said, okay, Ron, it's within you. Go within yourself. As soon as you can imagine it, we'll go there. And that's the whole key. It's within yourself. Piles of people all told the same story. The aliens say it's within you. And and so what are they what are they doing? It's the same thing as remote viewing. Is the remote viewer actually going somewhere? Do you, you say, well, "Here's your target, six, seven, three, four, two, whatever," and the guy says, "Hang on, I'm flying there. I'll be there in a minute." No, it's like boom—they're at the target instantaneously. They're not going anywhere. They're going within themselves. The same as out-of-body experience will tell you—they go within themselves. And this is what's happening: we're going within ourselves. Or the, the 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 analogy that would destroy the whole physical universe: we say, "Oh, it's the brain, and the, the consciousness is in the brain, and this is," and we're looking out of these little eyes, and and we're seeing the world around us. And, and that's, that's not what's happening because anybody who's had a near-death experience will float away and they look back at their body and they see their head. They see the body. And so the question is, is the consciousness in the brain? No, it's not. Because I'm floating up here and the, the head is down there. The head is in the consciousness. The body is in the consciousness. And that person can float to the window and look out at the universe. And, and that universe will be inside the consciousness. Everything is inside consciousness. Or as Deepak Chopra said, Everything is an activity inside consciousness. That's this whole thing of the the simulated universe idea. That's where we're headed. And you see more and more physicists going in that direction now. That is not not going to be the physical world that we think it is. It's this really weird thing. I was even reading an article today uh, that just came out. Uh, about top scientists and the, the one guy who's some sort of expert said 50 50 chance he's given it now that it's a simulated universe, but they want to make it like a computer that there's some God or there's some uh, programmer or alien. And you, you would see this thing, the aliens invented the whole thing. Well, who invented the aliens? They always have to go back. Who invented that? Who, where did the start come from? And it's always been, it will always be. And it, but it's going to be this, this idea that you get on board the ship. And that's why it's so important to listen to the experiencers. Or even the ones on the ground, Hal Putoff talked about the fact that that he was – that was the thing interested him the most. How can the craft be bigger on the inside than it is outside? And there was actually uh, um, Len Stringfield who did the, the crash saucers back in the 60s and 70s. He gave the first crash saucer lecture in 1978 in Dayton, Ohio, and had the death threat. Long before Roswell came up, Roswell didn't come up until 1980. And and he talked about a craft, uh, a, dis- a description back in the 1970s of a guy that was brought in to film the panels inside the craft. And he's brought into a, a a hangar in in California, and the craft was in a netting hanging from a from a, a crane. And he said he went inside, and he said the craft was bigger on the inside than it was outside. That was on the ground. This is a crash saucer. And so when you get that kind of stuff, you realize that this is this is not. The, the world you think it is. It's much more complex, much more uh, in-depth, and that's when you get the Wilson Leak document. You start seeing these these uh, stuff in there that starts to make sense. At the end of the Wilson Leak document, it says, we have a craft and we think it'll fly. And that's always been a rumor. Len Stringfield talked about that. Lots of people have talked about that, that we have a craft that's completely intact, completely nothing wrong with the craft at all. We were given it or whatever happened, and the, the idea is that the craft, they, they can't fly it. They say, so we've got a craft. We think it'll fly because you need a consciousness interface. You need a consciousness to turn the thing on. The, the, the craft is alive. And that's when you look at artificial intelligence. Then you're looking at artificial intelligence down, down the road. The craft is alive. It's conscious. People actually give it names. And you you get this world that's completely, completely different than than the, the world of simple ETs. Uh, you're making a wrong turn and ending up running into the earth and stuff like that. That's fading away, and I think it's only good for maybe another 15 or 20 years. And I don't think any will believe that anymore. We're just sort of hanging on. And that's when you, when you start to get looking at the, the statements made from NASA and from the, the government and, and all these different people when they say, we, we, we yes, UFOs are real, but we have no evidence of extraterrestrial visitation. They may actually be telling the truth. That's the truth. The whole thing is the word extraterrestrial. We have this impression of these these ETs, physical ETs, biological beings. But the more when you start looking, especially when you look at the beings and you start looking at clear descriptions of the beings, none of them seem to be biological. It's something. It's something else. They're they're appearing to be biological, the same as before 1947. Nobody talked about aliens and UFOs and stuff like that. It was all elves and fairies and stuff like that. And uh, it, they change as we go. So we get into the space age. And they started off as being from Mars and Venus. So anybody who says it's extraterrestrial, I say, okay. So in 1950s, they said they were from Mars and Venus. The ones the Canadian government dealt with in 1950, Wilbur Smith, the guy that ran the Canadian government program, and the CIA and defense and uh, the Navy intelligence in the United States were all dealing with a being by the name of Alpha. And Alpha said he came from Uranus, and that there was half a billion people on Uranus, and Uranus is like 320 degrees below. And so this is the whole thing. Are they actually from Mars and Venus? And you say, well, no, I don't believe that. And then it went to 1960, and, and they showed the, the star map to Betty Hill. And then suddenly it all changed. Oh, Zeta Reticuli. Somebody came up with Zeta Reticuli. And suddenly they're from Zeta Reticuli, and they're from the Pleiades, and from Andromeda, and stuff like that. And then in 1963, we started talking about multidimensional stuff in, in science fiction. And then suddenly now they're from the 5th and the the 6th and the ninth and the the 12th dimension. And they're going to be whatever we want them to be. That's what the being said to me when I said, are you extraterrestrial? And they said, would you like us to be extraterrestrial? We could be extraterrestrial if you want. We could even take you to our planet. But no, we're not extraterrestrial. We've always been here. You're the visitor. And this is the whole idea of the singularity. It may may be no time, no space. It's just a simple singularity. It's a thought. Uh, Call it God, whatever you want and that it's all here it's all now and there is no out there out there it's all within ourselves and it's all a mind it's all mind stuff it's all simulated universe or whatever you want to call it
2: grant you know the way the way the ufo cycle is going right now we're seeing this whole political side that has taken over And with with that, we've also seen a lot of news come out where we you know, it sounds really fictitious at times, you know, even even Ross Coulthard coming out and saying he knows where there is this giant UFO that there has been a building built over top of it because they couldn't move it. Have you ever heard of that? And and do you know where that is? Because he's not giving it up.
3: Well, yeah, that, that's these are stories that have been told. That's what I'm saying. I did. I, I'm doing a podcast. My podcast is Paranormal UFO, the, the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I do a thing on Len Stringfield. Len Stringfield was talking about this back many, many years ago. John Lear talked about the one that they buried. The one. This is. These are stories are old, old, old. And and the the, the fact of the matter is that even if there is crash, so they they come to the core story. So hell put off Jacques Vallee and uh, Kit Green were three of the top guys. These are the guys that got the briefings. These are the guys that have the top secret SCI clearances since like 1969, 1972. These are guys that have got all the briefings, have been around, have, have got all the money from Bigelow, have interacted with all the top people and stuff like that. And, and they, in the 1980s, they came up with what's called the core story. And they said, what do we know for sure? We know we're being visited by something. They were at the Danny's restaurant, and they've confirmed the story's true. They were at the Denny's restaurant, and they, they said, what do we know for sure? There's lots of garbage floating around. We know. We know, number one, that we're being interacted by some sort of intelligence. Number two, we have crash hardware. And number three, we, we aren't able to back engineer We're not doing very, very well back engineering. And Eric Davis actually agreed with that as well. When he briefed the, the Congress people, uh, that's what he said for years, that we've got the stuff, and we stopped it in 1989. We couldn't back engineer the stuff, and we put it on a shelf. And every seven or eight years, we take it off the shelf, and we revisit the thing that we that we can't get anywhere but the thing is even if we've got crash saucers and we've got bodies that doesn't mean it's extraterrestrial it still is the old idea it's like where did it come from because we can go back to mediums in the in the turn of the century uh stanford university uh the leland stanford who started stanford university his brother and him they were all into seances and stuff like that and his brother was dealing with seances in in australia and he had a uh, a turtle that appeared in one of the, the seances, a live turtle. And he kept this turtle in his, in his, uh, in his garden. And then he um, donated a bunch of money to Stanford University for paranormal research. And of course, there's no paranormal research. So they used to, to finance the psychology department for many years at Stanford University. All the money was supposed to go for paranormal research. And he, the, the turtle shell is in a, a port collection. So I wrote a book called Weird uh, on port, uh, ports and manifestations, things that appear out of nowhere. Coins and turtles and all these kind of things all over the place in all the phenomena, whether it's ghosts, whether it's psychics or whether it's UFOs, uh, they all have these port phenomena. It's like Skinwalker Ranch was all port phenomena, it's cattle disappearing and and bulls being put inside trailers and stuff like that. So you, when you have this uh, a port technology, you, you 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 get the thing where if they can make a turtle appear, they can make an alien appear. It doesn't mean it's from extraterrestrial. It may be like They they can If they can make a turtle, they can make a, an alien and they can make this stuff appear. Same as a coin. So they make a coin appear, they can make a flying saucer appear, which is the whole thing. When you start looking deeply into this thing, it starts to fall apart. People are just sort of, they're, they're sort of closing their eyes and their ears and they, they don't want to hear certain things. So it's like the metal stuff. When I heard the metal stuff, it was like, come on already. The thing flies across the galaxy I mean, from like a trillion galaxies away and it flies here and then little pieces start to fall off the craft. Come on. This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. They're all like the size of your thumb. These little pieces are they're falling off and they're coming out of the sky and stuff like that. And people are looking at them. And it's the theory. Of, wow. They want you to go,
0: wow, what the heck
3: is this metal? And then you find that the isotopes are all messed up. And you go, oh, this is pretty weird. And they get you all excited and you're, and you're moving along. And so these support things, they can make it appear whatever they want, just because we've got crafts and bodies. People say we've got bodies and crafts. Yeah, we may have bodies and crafts, but it still may be from here. It may be some phenomena that's able to produce these things, because when you look at the phenomena, when you look at the beings, even the alien autopsy in the in the in the 1995 thing, it has no sex organs and has no belly button and has no nipples. And how did they get that right that we now I'm bringing this up? is that when you start asking people these sort of things, or they say they got clothes, but the clothes are so thin, it's it's like it's part of their skin and stuff like that, and you start seeing these, these really weird phenomena. So, yeah, the crash saucer stuff, all this has been around forever, all these stories about... You know, Area 51 and they move this stuff from from hangar eighteen to Area 51. And and Nap has the story about the woman who was the stenographer who was keeping notes as they were talking about the moving this stuff to Area 51. And then they, they come and threaten her and stuff like that. So they've got all this material, but they may have piles and piles of warehouses full of this stuff, but they can't do anything with it because they can't turn it on. It needs a consciousness interface. And number two, they don't know where it's from. It they, they know it's it's not us. We didn't build it. But the fact that it's ET is, I think, what's throwing people off is it's, it's got to be from extraterrestrial because we believe in this world that there's a world out there, and and John Wheeler said there is no out there, out there. It's this idea that it may be all here and now, and that's how they can move in and out, or you even see UFOs. I mean, they they pop in, they pop out, they, and that was apparently one of the things that the Defense Intelligence was really interested in was the portals, the portals where you 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 had the the object where it's dark and then you have this portal and you can see through the portal and it's, it's, sun, it's sunshine on the inside of the portal. And that's when uh, I remember Sid Goldberg told me the story at Gaia TV. He was interviewing John Alexander, who was Bigelow's big guy at, at uh, Skinwalker Ranch. And he said he was talking to John as they, they finished the interview and they were out in the parking lot. And he said to uh, uh, John, he said, John, he's, he's asking about sightings. And John got upset and he said, it's not about the sightings. It's about the portals. And he gets in his car and drives away. And I said, you actually said that? You said that? Because I know every time I looked at portals, it went somewhere. And it, it, it appears that the government may have some sort of mind thing, that they can move stuff around from here to there. The portal thing they may have figured out. And that's this whole idea. That's how they're moving in and out. They're moving in and out through these portals, that they're coming from uh, some sort of inside or wherever. And it's it, they're not coming from out there, not flying across the universe. It's all here, it's all now. And that's why the portals are so important and why they went to Skinwalker Ranch because they had portals there. And I tell the stories of piles of portal stories and I've interviewed the people. I interviewed 2014, seven people inside a portal. 2015, eight people inside the portal. And I interviewed three of the nine people in 2020 who were in a portal, who were levitated and they were levitated off the ground. And I talked to three of those witnesses. I've got them on camera and they talked about more beings than there were trees in the forest. This was at at Mount Shasta. More beings than there was trees in the forest surrounded them, and they were all oming. And I asked them, how long did the event take place? They said, they have no idea. They were levitated into the air. This was the most amazing thing. And these are people who went on camera and told me this story. The portal thing is real. There's something to the portal thing. And that's why I, I say that, uh it's it's not going to be extraterrestrial it's going to be some really weird sort of thing where it's here now it's a singularity it's all it's all one thing it's all conscious alive and it's all here no time in space that's where we're headed
2: grant cameron is our guest tonight on space out radio we got two minutes grant before we got to go to break let's get to an audience question here let's go to gizmo grant do you believe all of these craft are conscious driven absolutely
3: yeah, I, th- I think that's the the key is is that when you when you talk to the witnesses who've been on board the craft, and you start asking these questions, you start to see these similarities. That people will say the craft was alive, it was conscious. When I touched it, I became one with the craft, and whatever I thought is what the craft thought. I could actually communicate with the craft. There's actually Kathy Martin's assistant, uh, Denise Stoner, talks about being on the craft, and she's talking to the engine in this craft, and she and the craft and this engine's talking to her. And she, she said she felt so bad. She's it, it was interacting with all the other crafts around the universe that they was talking. And she said, I, I feel sorry for you. And he said, this is my job. Don't feel sorry for me. It was the most bizarre thing. And this is a story that goes back probably 20 or 25 years. She's the one that started, she's in the book. And I talk about all these different people and that's basically what you get is you get the craft is alive. It's conscious and everything's alive. Everything's conscious. It's, it's this idea that we we have this idea that we're conscious, we're alive, and everything else is not. I mean, if you take go back to the 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 hydrogen the hydrogen atom, how does the atom the electron know what to do inside a hydrogen atom? I mean, what did it learn? Is that evolution? I mean, everything is conscious at, at some level. It's all conscious. It's all alive, and it's all one thing. And anybody who's done ayahuasca who has a psilocybin experience and stuff like that. They come out of it and they say everything oh man, I couldn't believe it. Everything is alive, conscious and one. That's the key. And they've they broken through that 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 uh, uh, sort of shield. And when you get on the other side and you get that information, that's what you learn. Everything's alive, everything's conscious, everything's one thing, it's all connected. And it's a verb, there's no nouns, it's all verb.
2: Grant Cameron, we got him till the top of the hour here on Spaced Out Radio. And when we return with Grant, we're gonna ask him point blank. Are there jump rooms? Can we go from place to place, from Earth to the moon, the moon to Mars? Good story, I'll tell you. We're going to look into jump rooms next with the legendary Grant Cameron on Spaced Out Radio. We'll be right back. All right, we're clear. <clears throat> Good times, little Granty uh, Cameron. Good times. Good times. By the way, Connor Bedard got one point in his debut.
3: The first game they played. The first game, already?
2: Pittsburgh versus Chicago. Nice face-off between the Sid the Kid and and uh, Connor Bedard. There you
3: go. Yeah, he's he's doing pretty well. I watched one of the games he played. He's he looks like a, he's about thirteen years old though. Jeez.
2: Oh, I know. Like a,
3: is it, is it you hear the story, he's never been to a, a fast food restaurant, he's, he's never, nev- eaten fast food. N-
2: never eaten a McDonald's in his life.
3: Yeah, that's
2: unreal. Yeah, yeah,
3: he's got a shooting board. My kid had a shooting board, I, I point that out. And same was uh, uh, what's his name? Uh,
2: your buddy there, who
3: and Edmonton,
2: they with the shooting board. Oh, My Connor, kid had the shooting, Connor David, yeah,
3: yeah, they got the shooting boards. My kid had a shooting board, he, I remember he was uh. At nine years old, my kid could slap shot a puck from center ice and put it over the back the, the back glass. At nine years old, <laughs> but then he he could he couldn't keep it down. It was like every time he would shoot, if he hit the goalie in the head or he would shoot it over the back glass or whatever. And I said, "Get it down, get it down." I guess he gets so obsessed with this the ability to shoot. But at nine years old, that's you see like. Uh, you know, these guys, the, the, the drills they use and the skills and the stuff. Oh, yeah. It's almost like the UFO thing. They've learned so many skills and so many tricks and stuff like that. The stuff they're doing now. I mean, can you imagine if, if, if Edmonton went up against the Canadians from the 1960s? The score would be like 300 to nothing. It was like unbelievable. Those guys could barely skate. And you see, you see the same development that we're moving at, at an incredible pace and learning and abilities and speed and stuff like that. Same things happen in the UFO community. It's just, it's getting more elaborate and more, you know, more magnificent all the time.
2: Are you a grandpa yet?
3: Uh, uh, G- December the 18th, apparently. Mm. Until, until then, I've got my Norm. I go there and uh, Norm the dog, I I always say, is my uh, one grandkid. Oh. So it, we don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl, but I think it's going to be a girl, but. The new generation—that's the thing. My mother dies, and I told my son the new generation moves on. It's a it's just develops and it uh, rotates, and that's the—that's the way it works.
2: Here's my little guy.
3: I can't really see. I gotta get my glasses on here. There you go. Holy cow! Is that where? where whereabouts? Vancouver.
2: Uh, he's in Penticton. Oh wow. <clears throat> yeah, he's in Penticton, and I'm uh, I miss him. Is that, is that the only one you got? That's the only one I got. But no, no. the main thing is he's got his stick, he's got his skates, and uh, you know, in a is your
1: kid is your boy playing?
2: Yeah, uh, he he's uh, last year of U eleven, and okay. you know, it's funny because. Uh, I took him out for, uh, they don't do tryouts here. There's not enough kids for tryouts here, but uh, I took him out and he wasn't sure if he was going to play this year, but I, but I was like, come on, no, you're playing. And he's like, okay, dad. Well, he went out there and he has been busting his ass uh, every ice time. And he's gone from the back of the pack in skating to you know, when they do their skating drills, he's usually between yeah. one and six now. Like he just, wow. I, and I, and I, the first practice he had or first couple of practices he had, I, I, I just went to him and said, who, who the hell are you? Right? Like, <laughs> where did you come from? He's like, what, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you didn't skate like that last year. Where is this coming from? He's like, dad, you threatened to take away my iPad if I didn't try hard.
3: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 11 is a good year. I mean, that was a uh, funny story. My kid played for Winnipeg Junior Jets at mm-hmm. 11 and we were playing in Ontario and Ontario, they could, uh, or it was 11 to 12. Yeah. 11, 12. They could, they could body check at 11 years old. So they decided that they're going to shut down the Winnipeg Junior Jets. They're going to, you know, hit them for check and, and hit them. And, they, and we told the kids, you got to watch out. These guys have been body checking for a year. They can body check in here and they're going to hit you. They're going to try to slow you down. And and we figured the kids would all panic, and they went, "Can we hit them too?" And then they, the coach said, "Yeah."
2: Oh god,
0: they're all excited.
3: It's like a. But the, the thing was, they 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 just destroyed them because the kids were so good on their skates that, oh, at yeah. a young age. That the kids have score, the kids can skate. My kid oh, went yeah. to power skating, but it was so funny. Eleven years old. Can we can we body check them too? It's like yeah, yeah, you can body check them. It's like oh great.
2: Yeah, I got to get my boy into power skating. Thank you tonight to Cat Chaser with a hat trick, Dutch Hank, T Bone, Major Lee. And uh, dude, and Pam, Lori, Simon, Big Dog, Mama Catherine, and Human Carl for the super chats. Here we go with the next one, everyone. We passed the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Reminder to all of you that if you missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do me the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website, SpacedOutRadio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join us on Patreon in the SOR Space Travelers Club. All right, let's go. One more half hour with Grant Cameron before we have to say goodnight to him. Grant, you can find all of his books on Amazon. Grant, we're going to talk about jump rooms here. Now we first heard of Jump Rooms about almost 20 years ago now with Andrew Bashago and his stories why he never became president I don't know but nonetheless Jump Rooms have been on our minds and and you have information that this may not be that far fetched.
3: Yeah, I actually had a lunch one a breakfast one time with Andy. I mean, he was one of the smartest guys I've ever met. I was I was pretty. I had heard the story. I thought it was a nutty story. I had breakfast with him, and I thought, "Wow, he's one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my life." He he made a lot of sense when he was talking. But anyway, so the story goes to uh, the one you want. The story you want to hear is: um, I'm in uh, a, ca- a cabin in Pennsylvania, and the cabin is owned by Mark Leon, who's a big business guy out of out of uh, New Jersey. Chris Bletso is there. Um, and my friend Mark Olson, who's a big business guy here in Winnipeg, was there. I was the only guy who didn't have any money. Me and and, uh, Peter Robbins was there. He didn't have any money either, but uh, we were there, and um, suddenly I hear that um, um, Tim Taylor is there from NASA, and he's the guy in, if you read the book, uh, American Cosmic. He's uh, Tyler D. And I didn't really know who he was at that time. There was, that's why I use his name. There was no secrecy. It was not like you got to call him Tyler D. I mean, he was Tim Taylor. And my friend Mark had taken him to what's called the gifting field. And Tim Taylor talks about this fact that uh, the, the, the gifting field, uh, he makes this statement. Do you think they fly across the galaxy and then crash? Come on. They're giving us this stuff. They're dropping it. They call it the gifting field. And he took uh, Diane Pasolka there, and he took uh, Gary Nolan there. They were blindfolded. He took them to this field. It was actually Mark Olson who showed uh, Tim Taylor where the field was in New Mexico. And uh, so anyway, uh, we're there, and um, I I had the download experience. This is 2013, and uh, uh, Chris Bledsoe has got the contract with Warner Brothers. He's on the third draft of this contract, and he's turned it down twice. Warner Brothers is giving him the thing, but Warner Brothers won't give him control at the end of the movie. So uh, he's, he's saying, he, nope, nope, turned down. So now he's got it again, and they were, they were talking about it was going to be bigger than The Passion of the Christ, $80 million they're going to put into it, and they had offered him, I think, a million and a half dollars to sign the contract, 2% of gross, which would have been $8 million, and 4% of royalties. And I remember these big business guys were saying to Chris, no, Chris, don't take the royalties. It's 20 bucks for a pencil. You're not going to make no royalties. You're not going to get nothing. Take the money up front there. So they're advising him. And, and all Chris is interested in is he's not going to sign it unless he gets control of the end of the movie. It's going to be called the the the, the 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 message. It was the message that was given to him to give to the world. And he's not going to, like Tom DeLonge got a hold of it. and He offered him like huge money. And uh but Tom Long wanna to put reptilians at the end. So anyway, we're at we're at this thing and they're they're advising Chris on how to how to sign this contract and stuff. And it's it's going back to the lawyer for the third time. And I guess it didn't he never did get control of it because the, the 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 Warner Brothers thing never came off. And uh Julia Roberts was gonna play uh uh Diane Fasolka and uh um Mel Gibson was gonna play Chris Bledsoe. and that's why I said, Well, I'm in the movie when, who's gonna play me? And he said, Well, I don't know who's gonna play, but anyway. So they're having this discussion, and then suddenly I have this conversation with with Tim Taylor, and uh, Tim introduced me to uh, a girl by the name of Connie. And I, on my paranormal UFO consciousness contact uh, uh, podcast today, I actually posted uh, the interview with Connie. He actually introduced me to this one, and this is where I learned this idea that you have this high level NASA guy who gets downloads and he's got 40 patents and they're all coming from the beings. And and he talks about how he gets in contact with the beings and they give him all this sort of stuff. Uh, he actually introduced me. He, has, he, he, he introduced me to two women. The first woman didn't answer the phone. And then the second one was Connie. And she lived in, in Steinbeck, Manitoba, which is just outside of Olympic. Now she lives in Florida. And he said, uh, you, you might live somewhere near you. I said, yeah, it's like 30 miles away. So he put me in contact with her and I've been in contact with her ever since. And he was following her and that's what you do. So what he was doing is he's going to Connie and these other experiences and he had gave them little things to fill out, uh, your premonitions, all your premonitions, uh, your events and stuff. And they were keeping track of all this stuff for him. And he was following these experiences, which is what you do. So anyway, we were sitting there and, uh, he, he talked about his download experience. So he said, um, he, he was famous for this, uh, um, Company that he sold on Nasdaq for a hundred million dollars, according to the rumor. Uh, wh- one of the things that was part of that company was this invention that he got, and it has to do. It's a medical invention, and he got it from from whoever. He said, "I'll tell you what, Grant, because we were talking about downloads." He said, "I'll tell you what. That morning, I got that idea in my head that that that, that made that made the, we made the patent." I uh, said, "The last thing I remember the night before was a hooded figure standing at the end of the bed." I said, "Really? There's a hooded figure standing at the bench?" Yeah. I said, could you see its face? He said, no, I couldn't see its face. So I said, oh, you should go to Yvonne Smith because he used to go to Florida and he used to go to uh, LA and he worked with uh, killed children who had cancer in the operation room because he's had all this equipment. And uh, so I said, well, you go to LA, go to Yvonne Smith and get regressed. And I don't know if he ever did get regressed to, to find out what, what, what he was dealing with. But anyway, we're talking about the download. And then he, 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 he shows me a cell phone. He's got the cell phone. He shows me the cell phone. And he says, so what do you think of this? And he shows me this. These two guys, it's a painting. And these two guys are flying through space and they're just like, you know, propped out. And the one guy, they look like they're in pajamas. And the one guy's older than the other guy and they're flying through space. And I go, I don't know, Tim, I have no idea. And then he shows me these, uh, the, all these balls, this painting with all these balls, there's big balls going into the middle and these balls get smaller and smaller like they're going down this tunnel. And he said, what do you think of this? I said, I don't know. And then he shows me this, this three, uh, three pictures of this eclipse as the eclipse is taking place. And I go, I don't know, Tim, I have no idea. And then he shows me this. Uh, he says, "Here, look on the parkade." He says, "Here's a. It was a '56 or '57 chef. He said, "In the back seat." He says, "Take a look in the back seat here. They, see that postcard?" And he's got this picture, and you can sort of see the postcard in the back seat. And he said, "You know what it says on the postcard?" And it's a, a guy writing to his girlfriend, or vice versa, or whatever. And he, she's in France, or he's in France, or something. And it was something about, "Oh, I wish I could travel through time and space to be with you." And I said, "That's what it said." And he said, "Yeah." And then I'm so I stuck. I don't know, Tim. I don't know what you're showing me these photos. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea. And he says, You know where this is? And I said, No, where is it? And he said, It's the uh, the Hughes Hughes facility outside of LAX. And I go, I still don't know what you're talking about, Tim. I have no idea. I have no idea what you're talking about. And he said, Well, that's where the, the jump room was supposed to be. And I go, Really? Let's see those photographs again. <laughs> then he shows me the photographs. He shows me his photographs. And he says, The one, the one with the two guys flying through space. And he says, You know where that one is? I said, no, where is it? He said, it's right outside the elevator. I said, really? So the next time I went to LA, I couldn't wait. I get off the plane, man. I didn't even go any to the hotel, nothing. I just got on the bus, man. And and off we went to it's 999 Sepulveda Avenue in, in LA, outside of LAX. And there it is. And I went in there and he says, Watch out. And there's a guy, there's a security guard. Make sure he doesn't see you if you're gonna because I'm gonna go photograph these, these paintings. And so I went in and this, luckily it was eight o'clock in the morning. And this guy was letting people in, into uh, the building. He was holding the door open. So I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm <laughs> photographing all these things. And that, that's what it basically came down to. So people have asked me, did he say it was a jump room? And I said, I don't know if he said it was a jump room. He just said, you know where this is? And I said, no. And it was the Im- implication I got was this is in the building where they said the jump room was at nine, nine so- Avenue. So I actually contacted Andy and there's two buildings. So the, 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 the car on the parkade wasn't there, up on the top of the parkade. Uh, but the the back building, I said to Andy, because I, I went in the back building, I want to see if there was elevators in there. And because there's two big, like they've been converted into uh, office buildings. So I said to Andy, I said, were you in, when you were a kid and you were in his jump room things, were you in the front building or the back building? He said, I was a young kid. I don't remember if it was the front building or the back building. But that's the story. So he basically uh, got me very interested. And, and people asked me, did he actually say it was a jump room? And I said, no, I don't. I don't really know. It was just like, you know where that photo, you know where this painting is? He said, it's outside the elevator. And I said, really? And the whole story is that they go in the elevator, they go up the fifth floor and Obama and all the boys and they all go to Mars. So that was the whole thing with the jump room that it seemed to indicate that there was a story. And then the other thing that backed it up, which is pretty hard evidence was I've always followed around Ron Pandolfi for many, many years, decades. And Ron Pandolfi puts this video of himself and his wife and, uh, um, um, Dan Smith and uh, uh, Kevin Albert and all these guys, and they're going through the Panama Canal. They're on a cruise going through the Panama Canal, and it's very bad audio. And they're in the in the restaurant or whatever. And uh, Ron's wife, Aaliyah, says uh, they're having a discussion. She says, "So, Ron, so footman, he's he's the footman. She's the the princess, and he's her footman." This is they have all these code names and stuff. Hey, footman, so what do you say? And then Ron, this is on camera, and Ron says. People have always wondered what it's like to go into the next world. The next time John, and he looks over at John, this John Sillison guy sitting beside him, who, who Ron went to university with in California. He said, next time John goes to the desert, a number of us here will go into the next world and come back again. And I went, Thank you, Jesus. And I grabbed this off the video and I grabbed it. And he was furious when he, when it, Bruce McAbee showed it to me, he says, look at Cameron. Did you actually say this? And he says, that Cameron's a thief, man. That was on my, and I was like, well, you put it on YouTube, man. I grabbed it. So he basically says, people have always wondered what it's like to go into the next world. The next time John goes to the desert, there's always this rumored story that they had this portal thing in the desert. And I I, I said to, to Dan, 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 uh, uh, the story was that Dan had turned it down three times. He he had chickened out and going to the going through this portal, and and Leah actually had a a YouTube uh, video on portals. And then I said, "Hey Dan, you 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 said you you were going to go to the portal, and you chickened out three times." He said, "No, I don't think that's really true." And then Leah says, "Ron's wife says, yeah, that is true.'" And I went, "Holy shit!" It's like they so they, the story was that they had this thing in the desert, this portal thing. And that Ron was going to take these people into the portal and they were going to go. And the story that I had heard, I was trying to, for years, I was trying to get all the material. And I actually asked somebody who was pretty close. I said, hey, I don't know if I'm going to follow this portal thing. This is kind of nonsense. I'm getting tired of the the games and stuff like that. Do you think I should hang around? And there was this long pause and the guy says, yeah, I should probably hang around. And then later, and then last year he confirmed it, He says, it's true. The whole story is true. You, you were interested. Should you hang around? The story is true. The portal thing is true. So the the portal I believe is true. They have some sort of technology. They've, they've discovered this kind of stuff. And that goes to the whole idea that it's not extraterrestrial, that it's, it's some sort of weird thing. It's all here. It's all now. It's this portal thing that we're popping in into dimensions or whatever you want to call it, but it's, uh, every time i went to portals it went somewhere
2: every time i went to anti-gravity it didn't go anywhere so do you think we have that ability have we got yeah. that technology yeah
3: I, I believe if we have anything I, I don't believe we really have a lot of technology i think that a lot of the stuff people are just making up games it's like we won the vietnam war and we uh, you know won the Afghan war and stuff. We make all sorts of garbage up. It's like military bravado. We don't have anything. I mean, if if we had the technology that people say we've got, I mean, do you think that we're still lobbing missiles and and and, and mortar shells at each other in, in Ukraine? Where's the technology? Where's the super technology? Uh, where was the super technology for the Israelis when they got, you know, ambushed on the weekend? We We don't seem to have all this technology. But the portal thing, I mean, that every time I went somewhere, I even talked when I had the one with the the portal thing with these nine witnesses that got levitated in 2020. And I went to Kevin Alber, who is sort of working with Ron Pandolfi. I said, hey, Kevin, okay, I got another story about portals. And he had said he'd been through a portal and he was going to take us to a portal in um, Napa Valley. He lived in Napa Valley, went through a portal. He described what it looked like and stuff like that. And so I said, "Okay, Kevin, I said, I got another story about a portal. I said, don't you think it's time that you tell me what the CIA actually knows about portals? He said, okay, I'll make you a deal. You get these nine people. We're going to do a, a, a show. They always want to do a show. They're always trying to get me to do a show in 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 in, in Hollywood. And I said, I'm not going to sit in front of a camera. I'm not going to sit in front. Of a, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. I'll do all the research, whatever, for nothing. I, I, I'm not going to sit in front of the camera. I'm not going to be a talking head. And and then he said, okay, you get these these people, and we're going to do a show in in uh, Hollywood on it. And then I'll I'll make I'll tell you what the CIA knows. And then of course this the word got back to all these Latino people that Cameron's got the CIA. <laughs> it's like, they all just scattered. Like nobody, nobody would talk to me again. It's like, they, they got a warning from somebody who knew pretty closely that this is a grant's got the CIA. Don't get, don't get involved with these people. Don't talk. And so they all disappeared, but these nine people are still around. We sort of know who they are. And uh, three of them are on camera. I've got them on camera telling this story and it, it, there's no doubt when you hear these people telling the story that they, they didn't want to talk because they're Latino. They don't want to be the center of the story. They don't want to look, you know, proud and stuff like that. But when the thing, when they got going, man, they were all fighting to talk and, and tell the story. And when the guy said, the biggest thing was when Sinead Wellahan was doing the interview with me, she said, so, so how many beings were there? And the guy says, there was as many beings as there was trees in the forest. I said,
2: holy cow.
3: It's like hundreds of beings around them and they were levitated. And it was just the, these wild stories and the portal ones from 14 and 15. I talked to these people, you were in this portal. Yeah. And they, they all talk about the fact that when you're in the portal, uh, you, you it sounds like you're underwater when you're talking and they all describe the same thing. I've talked to piles of people who've been in these, these Zendra things. They call them Zendra portal things. And that, so that technology is there. And I think they have sort of figured, and that's why Ron was very interested. They want, they wanted Kevin Elder to come to Mount Shasta with us to uh, explore this. They wanted to check out this Mount Shasta uh, mission Rama thing that these people, mission Rama are able to open these things up from time to time. And, uh, I guess Ron was interested in this and it indicates that, cause he always said, everybody's a loon crook or worse in the UFO field. And that may be the whole idea that everybody's talking about anti-gravity and all this kind of stuff is a, is a loon and a crook and tries to steal people's money. And that the real story is the portal story. And that's what, that's why it was so important when, when, um, Sid, Sid Goldberg told me that, 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 uh, John, uh, um, that, uh, what's his name, um, uh, got angry in the parking lot and said, it's not about the UFOs, it's about the portals. And I said, he actually said that? He said, that's what he said. And I said, holy, he, this guy not know he 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 shouldn't have said that. But they do have, I do believe they have some sort of technology. I'm not for how advanced it is or whatever, but uh, it, it, as the Canadian said, it'll be the most highly classified secret they've got.
2: are these jump rooms still in, in services, you know, are they still active? If so, what would they be used for in your opinion?
3: Well, that's why I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, the story is that they, they had them. I mean, this idea that Ron had one in the desert, I don't know what it, what it meant, whether it was, it was, um, um, one of the stories It was, it was in Salt Lake because this whole Joe firmage thing. And Joe Firmage came on a, a an interview one time. And th- this shows you that this is for real, that there's something to this. Because they come on the interview and they're interviewing jo- uh, big uh, Firmage about his anti-gravity, gravity control machine and whatever. And Ron's in the background and, and he's not, he's sort of in the background. He's not really talking or whatever. And Aliyah's running the podcast. And then at the end, they say to, uh, to Kashmir. Now, Kashmir at that time, I think was six years old. And they said, hey, Kashmir. Have you, got a question for, have you got a question for Joe Firmage? And she says, yeah. She comes on and says, so, Joe, how many portals have you got in your house? And he starts laughing. I'm going, this is a six-year-old kid. Someone told her about portals. And I remember somebody talked to her that I knew and said, he talked to her when the parents weren't around one time and said, hey, so you've you been on the other side? And she said, yeah. And says, well, wouldn't you like to go? No, I sort of like it on this side better. She had no interest in going back across again. And so you get this six-year-old kid telling a story. Then you're, the kid ain't making it up. She's getting it from somewhere. She's getting it from her parents. A six-year-old kid asked Joe Firmish, how many portals have you got now? So I fell off my chair when I heard her say that. And that's the thing. They got it. I don't know what what it is. The only one thing I had was that the, the Mission Rama people from time to time can open these things up and that there seems to be this thing in the desert. And there was this thing about the actuator, that there's an actuator, and this Ron Sillison guy was getting these actuators. And on one conversation, she said, uh, Leah, Ron Pandolfi's wife, said to him, so John, there's a question here from the audience. It says, are, uh, are the actuators actually real? And he, goes, and he goes, yeah, or are they mythical? And then they're waiting, and oh, he didn't answer. And then he said, I did answer, yes. And then the next morning she comes on uh, and she posts and she said, did anybody hear what what John said last night? And I said, yeah, he said the actuators were real, which is this idea that he goes inside, he reaches inside the portal, he grabs this actuator and they've got these actuators which turn the, the, the portals on, which can do it. But the, uh, the idea was that the, you need the other side to let you in. You can't just go through the portal. The other side controls the portal. They have to let you through the portal. So that's basically all I know. But I, as I said, every time I went down the portal route, there was something at the end of the road. It seemed to fit. Whenever I went anti-gravity and stuff like that and interdimensional or going to a different planet, that stuff always came up dead, that there was no, there was nothing to the story. The portal stuff always came up with something.
2: Incredible. <clears throat> Incredible. And when, and when you say that they had to let you in on the other side, who are yeah. they?
3: Whoever's controlling the portal on the other side, it's 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 you can't just walk through the portal, you have to um, be allowed in, it's sort of like the unless you're of the, you know, the, the right vibration or whatever, you're not getting through there. It's that's, that's what was I told pretty clearly is, and, and Leah had, had actually said to someone that it's, it's not what you think it is. Now, I don't know what that means. I have been gotten, you know, in, indications. All I was given indication was you asked me that question a number of years ago. Is this for real? Should I stick around? And I'm telling you right now, it's for real. And that guy is absolutely without it. With, I've known the guy for years. Absolutely uh, knows who he's talking about. But he didn't give me any details. And and he's he's holding the confidence that he got from the Pandolfis as to what's going on. And they said they would explain it to him. I said, have they explained to you how the portals work yet? And he said, no. All he was told was, it's not what you think it is. So I don't know what that means.
2: All right. Three minutes to go, Grant. I want to ask you, uh, with all the news going on around the world, with everything that's happening right now, do we see a stall in UFO talks within the government? Do we see things being pushed to the side because of the dangers right now in the Middle East?
3: Well, it's, it's the fact that the government, whoever controls the technology, whatever they have, is, is not going to let this loose. I mean, it's like I, I want to know how many submarines we have and how many nuclear weapons are on the submarines and how close we can get the Russians. It's like Eric Walker said to us, or Bush said to Carter, supposedly, curiosity is not sufficient need to know. We don't care. That's what Walker said to us. He said, you're just curious. Admit it. You're not. You're just curious. Go study something else. We're, we're, you're never going to get the answer. Just give it up. And and then he said to us at one point, he said, and this is what I'd ask all the people in the UFO community. When you get it, what are you going to do with it? It's all curiosity. That's all it is. Is people are curious. They just, I, it's like a socialist thing. It's like, oh, I got, you know, a new car and I got a new house and now I want this. Give me this. The government, give me this and give us the answer or whatever. People are just demanding stuff and the government could not care less. This is like, like, like submarine stuff. They ain't giving it up. They, whoever's got the material, uh, is, is it's, it's highly classified. They've protected this. They know what they're doing and they're not, they're not going to give it up. And I, I think that people are sort of wasting their time and, and it's just going to be more delays, more delays. Um, I, I don't think that it's, it's going anywhere. They've, they basically answered the question that I thought they would answer is yes, UFOs are real, the whole story, uh, but it, we don't have no ev- evidence of extraterrestrial. And I think they may be telling the truth on that or we don't know what's going on. That's what Obama said. We don't know what's going on. And when Trump was asked did you see the videos? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I don't really, I don't really believe. And it's like, so I mean, he, if it was real, he wouldn't say that. He, he, they're basically saying to him, "Here's the videos. We really know what's going on. What do you think, Mr. President? Yeah, I don't really believe it's for real. And that, that's what it is. They don't know what's going on. They, they, it's, it's beyond them. Or as Jim Semivan says, people think all we got to do is put together the connect the dots. He said, "I'm not sure there's any dots to connect. There does not appear to be any there there." Or as he said, and the one I love is he said, it takes you, it taunts you, it brings you along, it gets you closer to reality, but it never takes you home to meet the family, and that's the whole thing. We're never going to figure it out. It's way beyond anything that we've 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 got. We don't have the technology. Uh, if we did, I think we'd do better in the Vietnam War in 1975 when I saw it. We'd do better in in, in Ukraine. And we sure wouldn't have lost a war against a bunch of camel jockeys in Afghanistan if we had high technology. We, we, we just wouldn't have. We don't have the technology, I don't believe.
2: Grant Cameron, thank you again for coming on Spaced Out Radio. It's always a pleasure. Enjoy the kickoff to the NHL hockey season and your Winnipeg yeah. Jets. But uh, as for us around Space Hell Radio, I know we'll talk to you soon. Beautiful. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for your time. Anytime. Grant Cameron, everybody, as he says good night. And we say hello to hour number three coming up next on the Mighty SOR. Steve Stockton will kick things off from Among the Missing. Then Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio comes on in and talks about the cryptid reports. What's happening at Bigfoot Land? Space Out Radio continues right after this. Stay tuned. All right, we're clear. This is my
3: this is my shooting board. You've got got to give your kid a shooting board and make him shoot. This is what my kid was shooting at thousands of pucks. I keep track of every day of those things. And that's <laughs> assigned by Brett Hall.
2: Nice. So good luck.
3: So there you go. Give your kid a shooting board and, and uh, pay him so much for each shot he takes. Line up 10 pucks and let him shoot. Get the rhythm, boom, boom, boom. The next thing, your kid's going to be like Brett Hall or like a super shooter with power to, to spare.
2: Oh, yeah. Always, buddy. Okay, Dave. Take care, buddy. Talk to you later. Take care. Good night. All right. Grant Cameron, everybody. I will be right back, everyone. All right. Derek Galloway, you're a little late tonight. come on Amy WC we know you rip hard we know you rip hard I'm not worried about it Michael Boyle not worried about it he was quoting someone so that's it's a quote it's not uh, something of an aha caught you moment Here we go, everybody.
0: Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR.
2: Here we go with the third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, Talk Stream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Bagari. Bigari is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com, we have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can help us out by joining our Space Travelers Club on Patreon, it is that time of the night where we say hello to Steve Stockton from the YouTube channel Among the Missing with another creepy story.
1: Hello, friends! Welcome to Among the Missing YouTube channel on Space Out Radio. I'm Steve Stockton, and I'm about to take you on an unbelievable journey of people just like you. Their stories and encounters will haunt us on Among the Missing. The Sargasso Sea is renowned for its powerful undercurrents that deter many sailors. It is also well known for phantom ships with the Mary Celeste, a British merchant ship found adrift in the Sargasso Sea on December 5, 1872 with no crew on board, being the most widely recognized. Ocean currents surround this vast section of the North Atlantic Ocean and it is well known for the floating sargassum Seaweed. The Sargasso Sea is distinct because it is defined by ocean currents rather than land, resulting in a unique ecosystem home to a diverse range of plant and animal life. Scientists have conducted extensive research and exploration on the Sargasso Sea to comprehend the intricate interactions among the ocean currents that converge in this region and the diverse marine life that inhabit it. In 1969, a British businessman and amateur sailor, Donald Crowhurst, went missing when his yacht got stuck in the Sargasso Sea. He participated in the Sunday Times Golden Globe Race, a solo global sailing competition. Unfortunately, his ill-equipped boat started to fill it with water. Now, there are clues in Crowhurst's three log books, a tape recorder, and a 16mm camera found on his yacht, which suggested he began to cable home false trip reports about speed and position two weeks into the race once he realized his inadequate vessel would not win. It is assumed that he went overboard, either intentionally or accidentally, and drowned. The boat showed no signs of a rogue wave or accident that could have caused Crowhurst to fall overboard. The logbooks also detailed how Crowhurst was slowly losing his mind as he drifted aimlessly and alone in the ocean, writing a 25,000-word essay on time travel. It is finished, he wrote in the logbook at the end of June 1969. It is finished. It is the mercy. I will resign the game. Crowhurst's body has never been recovered. Over time, the Sargasso Sea has become known for its intriguing incidents of regional disappearances. Despite widespread speculation and folklore, no concrete evidence suggests that anything beyond natural phenomena, such as storms and rogue waves, is accountable for these disappearances. The Sargasso Sea remains a crucial area of focus for scientists and researchers, who aim to comprehend the intricate relationships between ocean currents and the diverse marine life in this exceptional ecosystem. And now, the Michigan Triangle. The Michigan Triangle, also known as the Lake Michigan Triangle, is in North America's Great Lakes region. The cities of Ludington and Benton Harbor in Michigan and Manitowoc in Wisconsin generally define the Triangle. The Michigan Triangle has a troubling past of ships disappearing without explanation. The earliest reported occurrence goes back to 1891 when the Thomas Hume, a schooner carrying lumber, vanished without a trace. One hundred seventeen years later, the ship was identified with close to complete certainty at the bottom of the southern part of Lake Michigan. Over the years, several other ships have met with the same fate in the region including the Roosevelt in 1921, the SS Francisco Morazon in 1960 and the Carl D. Bradley in 1958. It is believed that more than 30 vessels have been lost in this mysterious triangle. And it's not only ships that have disappeared. On June 23rd, 1950, flight 2501, a Northwest Airlines DC-4, vanished over Lake Michigan while traveling from New York to Minneapolis with 55 passengers and three crew members on board. The Michigan Shipwreck Research Association, or the MSRA, a Michigan-based nonprofit conducts an annual search for the missing airplane. The investigation began in 2004 as a collaboration between Clive Kessler, an author and explorer, and the MSRA. Kessler withdrew from the project in 2013, but his side-scan sonar operator returned to Michigan in 2015, 2016, and 2017 to investigate some leads uncovered by the MSRA in 2008. A mass grave was found containing the remains of some of the 58 victims of Flight 2501. The grave was unmarked and located in a St. Joseph area cemetery. A black granite marker with the victims' names was placed in Riverview Cemetery in a ceremony attended by 58 family members. The main wreckage of the aircraft has never been found.
2: Thank you, Steve, for another exciting exciting story from Among the Missing on here on Spaced Out Radio to kick off hour number three and Steve will be here each and every night Monday through Friday to tell us the stories of the unknown and what's going on out there if you want more and you want to listen to more head on over to youtube.com forward slash Among the Missing and hit subscribe on his channel from the missing to the mountains and the mysterious it is that time of the night where we bring in Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. Super Duke, Super Duke the Trinity Report with Super Duke. Big Bad Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. It's always a pleasure to have you out here. How you been doing, buddy?
0: I've been really busy. It's the end of uh, the warm months, so I'm scrambling to get everything that needs to be done outside before winter sets in for six months, you know, and I'm stuck indoors for
2: six months. So. Oh, I know that feeling. I know that yeah. feeling all too well because we are at that time of the year where that damn white snow can start falling and it won't leave until April.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, back in the olden days, it would have been a little bit better because I used to have uh, access to a snowmobile. So I could have still theoretically gone up into the areas that the Bigfoot are hanging around. But we've actually managed to pull that off a couple of times, even without such uh, nice equipment. <laughs> and uh, they really don't move around very much in the winter, or, if you know, they're probably not in the same area anyway. So it's kind of pointless, but, yeah. Hey, Bye.
2: whatever works, my man. Whatever works, and that's all that really matters. you Yeah, know?
0: I just like being outside as much as possible. So, you know, it's it's nice we have more campable time here in this state than some of the states I've lived in. But it's still, you know, half of every year you're kind of stuck indoors. That you know, gets really tedious. But I just had a big milestone for my channel on uh, September 24th, hit the 10-year mark. Good for so you. My YouTube channel has been on for 10 years and it's got a, you know, a, a three and a third million views overall on it, which isn't really spectacular. But I console myself with the fact that Montana only has a population of a million. So I've had three times the population of Montana's views on my channel. <laughs> so somebody's seeing it. So that's always nice. Well, that's good. Um, yep. Yep. Love it. Love it. So, yeah, I've been having actually, uh, I mean, one of those weird positions, and I'm sure you've probably been in this one before, Dave, where you get some really amazing information, and you're either not allowed to share it, or you can't tell where it came from.
2: That's really irritating. And and you know what? That is the biggest argument. I just mentioned that on uh, the other day where we were talking about sources. You know, I mean, if you give up your sources – you know, everybody who says name names, but if you give up your sources, you know, you're you're cutting off a major artery to how you get your information. You can't do
0: yep. that. Yep. Yeah, and then you know <laughs> I can't like go in depth on this, but this is one of those sources that if I made them mad they would just step on me and squish me. So I'm definitely not gonna be talking about what they were telling me. <laughs> And unfortunately, I have to leave it at that. But it seems that uh, uh, in February, uh, second week in February, 50 years ago, uh, that's when I had my first sighting. And this, uh, just about two, three weeks ago, I actually got to find out what it was that I had seen. Because finally I showed the picture to somebody that could ID what it was. And according to them, it's a genosqua. So for anybody that's been following my channel forever and wondering what it was when I saw when I was a little kid out uh, sledding, a uh, pretty reliable source claims that's what it was. So be careful when you're out in the cold winter and there's giant hungry predators wandering around. That's all I can tell you about that one.
2: So what has your research area given you this year, man?
0: All the usual, you know, heard some vocalizations and wood knocks and rock clacks and got probably more tracks videoed this year than we ever have before, a ridiculous amount. But the area that we were in, it's like really good for tracks. And occasionally you hear some vocals or something, but there's nothing for tree structures there. It's just wherever it is they're making them, we haven't found it yet. So we haven't been able to get any of that kind of stuff. And usually when we're in our main research area, that's where we're finding all the, you know, Four, five six story tall tree structures the are really gigantic ridiculously huge things um so that, that's you know it's like a change of pace it's like well we're not going to find any giant structures this year because we don't know where they're making them if they are making them around here but we're going to find plenty of huge tracks and we got three different tracks from one individual uh, that's uh, leaving a 21 inch footprint so that's pretty colossally big And then, of course, like I said earlier this year, I got the uh, 31-inch track up there at the Ghost Town that we're, you know, pretty sure wasn't a Bigfoot. It was probably a Giant or something, but that's just colossal and scary. And I've been trying to get all my Bigfoot expert friends to look at it and debunk it and go, hey, this is something else, right? It's a tire rut, right? And they look at it and go, no, that's a track. And I'm like, no, crap. Oh, my. I wanted you to tell me it wasn't a track. <laughs> oh, my. No, that looks like a track to me. They're all going, and I'm like, uh, I still want that to be a tire rut. No, it looks like a track. Damn it. Oh. Don't tire ruts have toes in the front and a heel mark in the back?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's enough to drive you crazy, Super Duke. <clears throat> yeah, to well, you know, you I mean, about
0: seven, seven, eight feet away from it, we found a track from the uh, same individual that Mike found a track from up there about three years ago, about a mile away from there. And he's leaving tracks that are around 20 inches long. And this other thing had sunk into the ground like three times as far as he had, and it was seven, eight feet away. And <laughs> you're looking at him going, well, I thought that was a big track. That's like nothing compared to this thing over here. Oh, my God. Why are we here? <laughs> These things are crazy big. 31-inch track scales up to 16 half feet tall. So, yeah, scary. And speaking of giants, interesting information that's come out recently from a source that claims he knows something. I don't know. But he's talking about the uh, Anunnaki and the Nephilim. And the Anunnaki had two different uh, branches to it, apparently. The Aesir, which, yes, it's the same pronunciation as the Norse gods, the Aesir. And kind of the same description, about 12 feet tall and blonde and kind of nordic looking and stuff. And, you know, some of them were dark-haired and everything. And this is all kind of the same group that um, liked to bully humans around and rule them and took over the Mesopotamia area, a lot of the old kings on the king's list, uh, all the way up to, uh, uh, what's his face, the, the famous hero, Gilgamesh, who was also said to have been a giant. And they're all portrayed as being like about 15 feet tall. So, of course, this fits the description of the Anunnaki. It also fits the description of the Nephilim. Now, what this source brought up is that there was a second group of them that were not interested in lording it over humans. They were actually even bigger, and they liked a the colder climate. So, they moved up into like Northern Europe, Siberia, um, across into North America. had spread all over the northern part of the world by about 200,000 years ago. And they didn't lord it over humans or have any interest in interacting with them. They kept to themselves, usually single individuals or sometimes a small family. And they would just scare the humans away because they didn't want nothing to do with them. Um, So apparently here in North America, we had both kinds because we definitely had the mound builder giants. They were lording it over the tribes of natives over on the eastern part of the country along the Mississippi Valley. And then you also get these uh, reports of the red-haired giants, like in Lovelock Cave. And same thing as the giant of Kandahar, dead ringer, same description, 15 to 20 feet tall, pale white skin, red hair. And they are the Nemnir. Um, I think I pretty much covered most of that. Now, the other interesting thing that doesn't get mentioned in this, but um, definitely ties into it. If you go and look at uh, the Norse description, what does a frost giant look like? Well, it's got red hair and white skin. This is what they're calling the Nemnir. The Aesir, those are the Norse gods. They're mostly blonde. The Nemnir, those are the frost giants. So, okay, this is this direct parallel to Norse myth that's coming out of this Anunnaki breakdown here. But one thing that they're leaving out is the other thing the Norse actually mentioned, as far as I know, they did mention the Nemnir, perhaps they did, and I missed it. But they did mention the Vayner. And the Vayner were actually interbreeding with the the Aesir, and they had gods that were recognized too, like uh, Frey and Freya, the king and queen of the elves. The Vayner were the elves. So you've got the Frost Giants, the Nemnir, the Aesir, which were the Norse gods, and the Vayner, which were the elves. And all of this stuff just kind of ties together really neatly. And the interesting thing is that according to their mythology, there was this connection between these giant people and the fey realm, which would be the Vayner, the elves, that don't get mentioned directly in this um, Anunnaki Information because they're not Anunnaki, they're Fae. Hmm,
2: very interesting. Very interesting. I, I've never heard of a lot of these names that you've mentioned. Well, in or,
0: old Norse mythology, all of the gods um, were the Aesir, the tribe of Aesir, and then they have precursors to that. If you want to go back and look at Norse mythology, there was a couple generations before. They popped in, kind of the same thing as the Olympians, uh, Zeus, and the whole pantheon over there. But in uh, the Norse mythology, you've mainly got Odin One-Eye, who's the wise guy that's running the show. Thor, who's the most powerful god and warrior god. uh, God of Thunder, kind of like the Marvel character, which is they stole that from Norse mythology. And then uh, Loki, which, same thing, they got him directly from Norse mythology. As a matter of fact, they just ripped off all the Marvel stuff from... Norse mythology: some of it's accurate, some of it a lot less so. Um, and Norse uh, myth is kind of like exactly the opposite of almost every other mythology in that it starts out with the uh, the world is made out of the death of a troll, Emir. That they actually killed this troll, and they used his um, skull to form the sky. They used his body to form the earth. Is uh, Mountains and stuff were made from his bones. Trees were made from his hair. And so the whole earth was made out of emirs of oceans, uh, was his blood, et cetera, et cetera. And then there, the only thing that was holding chaos in check was the gods being there and kind of keeping everything at bay because you had the frost giants from the north that were going to come down and freeze everything solid, ice age. And then you had the... Uh, uh, fire giants from the south that would come up and barbecue everything, which is you know probably reference to volcanic activity or something. So the gods are keeping all this chaos in check. And then at some point, things would get out of hand, and a whole chain of events would lead to all the bad guys basically attacking the Asia at the same time. And it would be Ragnarok, the end of the world. They would be destroyed. And uh, then the world would reset and start all over again. So they had this cyclical, cyclical world view. But one of the interesting things about their viewpoint on it is kind of like, in the end, the good guys lose. (laughs) Everything gets destroyed, and then it all resets and starts over again. And there's some people that have looked at this and went, well, is this actually a description of what happened uh, when Atlantis sank, the end of the last ice age, major Earth destruction? was that actually Ragnarok and the Aesir literally got wiped out. And that was kind of the end of it. And then afterwards, they were remembered in this, you know, cultic religion that continued on for thousands of years afterwards.
2: Hmm. I don't know where you get the time to study this stuff, but that's why we love you, Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio.
0: So anyway, there there you go. There's a breakdown on the Frost Giants, the Nemnir, the bigger than their buddies, uh, the Aesir, a.k.a. Anunnaki, who loved to interfere with humans and lord it over us and pretend they're gods and make us go fetch them burgers and their slippers and a beer while they were sitting around watching the you know, Dancing Girls or whatever it was they had going for entertainment. Uh, the Nemnir were just the opposite. They were hiding in the cold north and trying to stay away from all that foolishness and be ignored, which makes me wonder if there's some of them up there still being ignored because they weren't getting directly involved in any of these fights that apparently the other ones on the continent got into a big fight with the natives here and got on the losing end of the stick and got chased across the Siberian land bridge back over into Siberia, which is why they're not around here anymore. But if the Nimnir weren't involved and were up far north, like, you know, north of where Dave is, There could still be some of those wandering around. They could even be a little bit further south. In fact, they could be wandering around right where I found that 31-inch track.
2: Yeah, that's ridiculous. 31 inches. Holy cow.
0: Get a tape measure out and look at what 31 inches looks like. (laughs) That's on my May research video in case anybody wants to go see it. It's right at the beginning.
2: It's two and a half feet.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I had a guest on my show who found a set of tracks, like four or five of those right in a row in the Wallowa Mountains, and these were good ones. You could see the toes and everything, and the first track he he found, he was looking at the little depressions at the front of it and go, huh, isn't that cool, the way all those elks stepped right at the beginning of that mud puddle like that and makes it look like it's toes, and then he took a closer look at it and went, those aren't elk tracks, those are friggin' toes, this isn't a mud puddle, it's a huge track, well, there's got to be more tracks. So he looked behind him about nine feet. There was another one. And then he went in front of him. There was two more. And it went over to a swamp. And then in the swamp, there was potholes where it had been stepping through the swamp. And it was like knee deep. He wasn't going to go wade in there and follow the trail. But he wisely decided to leave the area.
2: Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio is here. And when we return, I want to get Duke's opinion on this new Bigfoot video that is making the track's Unintended. Around the internet right now. Space Out Radio continues in the final half hour. I don't know if you've seen that video, Super Duke, but it's, a, it's an interesting video, that's for sure. Who put it out? Uh, these people who were on a train in southwest Colorado. Was
0: it recorded recently?
2: Yeah, just came out. Just came out like ten hours ago.
0: Man, no, I haven't seen it. Uh, I've not had a chance to look at it.
2: Well, we'll play it here uh, during the during the show. Okay, I've got it lined up.
0: Hey, ready? I'm gonna go finish
2: my cigarette. You go, Super Duke, Super Duke, Light Walkers. Show you guys in a bit. I think it's uh, Cherry Pepsi Mike walking through the forest or through the desert mountain. That's what I think it is. Looks about the same. Nope. I don't get invited to those things, AA, a. Ron. Not big enough. Big J, how you doing? Duke, super Duke.
0: Yeah, I forgot to mention that there's also an analog to the uh, Nimnir in the Himalayas, because remember, they're supposed to live places that are cold. And when you talk to the monks in the Himalayas, they say there's four kinds of big, nasty hominids there. There's the Zute, which is the little one, which is, you know, like four foot tall. And then there's one that's like human size. And then there's what we think of as the Yeti, which Mm -hmm. is like eight, 10 feet tall. And then there's an even bigger one called the Nelmo, which is supposed to be about 15 feet tall. And they're supposed to look like giant humans with pale skin and red hair that live stone age living. Exact description of the same thing. Oh, wow that's pretty creepy Mm -hmm. hey Bama I'm glad we got video about that giant track but it's still disturbing again still hoping that it's not (laughs) and by the way speaking of disturbing part lock Alaska 1921 1951 Next time you're in Port Lock pick up one of these shirts
2: Very cool super duke
0: Yep and that's when the town was abandoned in 1951 Score Nantucket 1 humans 0
2: Thank you T Bone
0: And how are you doing?
2: All right, we got about thirty seconds. Big thank you tonight to T Bone, Times Two, Gen B, uh, Cat Chaser with the hat trick, Dutch Hank, Major League. And Dude and Pam and Lori and Simon and Big Dog and Mama Catherine and Human Carl for the great Super Chats. Very much appreciate the love and support. And here we go, everybody. We go with the final half hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Reminder to all of you that if you've missed most of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news wire. check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join the Space Travelers Club right now on Patreon. Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio is here, and we are going to talk about this brand new Bigfoot video that came out out of the desert mountains Of Colorado, and Duke, I know you haven't seen this, so I'm very curious to get your opinion on this video. So it's 18 seconds long. It can be seen on Twitter, and it's taken from a train. And you see the in this video, it's it's pretty hard because what is the alleged Sasquatch is very very. hard to see you see the creature walking and then all of a sudden it kneels down and sits on its butt and like it's kind of viewing the train as it's walking uh, or as it's uh watching on by and then the train kind of goes past it i mean i don't know if that's a suit or not because from the distance it's hard to tell what do you think there duke
0: I can't tell it's too small on the screen. If I had a blown-up version of it and I could see the body proportion, I could tell you right away if it's a human or somebody in a suit you know, or a Bigfoot.
2: Well, I know you're a fan of MeWe, so I will quickly send it to your MeWe so that way you can view it as well. And, oh, yeah, I got to go through all these ad exotes here for a second. So if you want to click on that link I just sent you on MeWe. Because I am curious to get your opinion. And this one is, in my opinion, really hard to tell. It's obviously taken in the mountains the, the, where it's it still looks like a, you know, pretty rocky with, with uh, you know, small plants around. And then this big creature comes walking through and sits on down on its tiny. And it's kind of looking around and kind of moving around. You know, like it's trying to get comfortable while it's sitting and then just kind of fades away. You see it take, right off the bat of the video, see so it take three big steps and then sit down. Like whether it's eating something, I don't know. It's, it's tough to say. Don't know if I can make it bigger on my end.
0: Yeah, I can see what you're looking at in the middle there. It's just, I hate cell phone video. This is one of the reasons why.
2: (laughs) Well, it still needs to be analyzed. I mean, you know,
0: I'm sure one of the big dogs like Thinker Thunker will have it sent to him in short order. He'll be doing a breakdown on it. All you really need to do is just be able to zoom in close enough on the middle of it and then put it on slow-mo and watch frame by frame when he's walking because their uh, body proportion is different than a human's. You can't put a human in a suit that looks like an actual Bigfoot. It won't work. Our joints are in the wrong places. Their arms and legs are the same length, and ours aren't. Right. As a matter of fact, some of them even have proportions beyond that. I just showed you guys the uh, T-shirt from Portlock, Alaska, a town abandoned uh, reputedly because the Bigfoot were killing people and chased them out. In a local area, they're called the Nantanak, and that's down in the Kenai Peninsula. But if you go up just north of there into the uh, mainland part of Alaska uh, by Lake Iliamna, which supposedly has a sea monster in it, there's also uh, the local type of Bigfoot that live there are called the Urayuli and they're exactly the opposite as the way the Nantanak are described. They're very shy and retiring. They avoid humans and their arms are supposed to be proportionally even longer. So much so that in order to go on all fours, all they basically have to do is just lean forward a little bit and they're on their knuckles. You still got the sound on that video playing?
2: Yeah. Let me just, um, that's weird. Cause the tab is muted on my end, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, you know my my big thing right now duke is is this like to me when I look at this at this video I I do know it's hunting season okay mm-hmm. and there's a good chance there could be hunters up there getting ready maybe they've found an elk or a deer or a bear or whatever it may be you know there mm-hmm. is a good chance but if you Well st- it
0: depends on where you are I mean like over here right now it isn't even gun season yet it's still bow hunting
2: season True. True. This is up
0: in Colorado. They probably, you know, eh, they might have gun season going. They're probably just on, like, black powder guns or, you know, bow season still.
2: Yeah. See, up here, um, we're in a different season. Like, you, you can use your rifle. Yeah, you soon. get
0: winter center. That's why.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so I mean to me I I want to believe it if if you slow down the image you can see what looks to be when he sits down a pointed head. But mm-hmm. but the one thing that uh, that kind of catches me off guard when you slow the video down and he watches its legs to to me it looks like pants. mm
0: mm-hmm. Mhm
2: totally looks like yeah like i
0: said i'd have to take a lot closer look at it to be able to make a call on it we just had uh i just found out uh today that we had a bigfoot conference here in montana yesterday and i didn't even know about it apparently it was up somewhere by kalispell and they had all the local or usual luminaries there dave Pilates, dr Meldrum, blah blah blah
2: same people uh, different title
0: the same people that are always at every conference. And they, my friends, stopped down and told me all about it today because they were there. And uh, they're from Hawaii, so they don't really have Bigfoot research going <laughs> on. So they thought that was really cool. They got to go to a Bigfoot conference. And uh, I, I thought it was hilarious that they were kind of like really unimpressed by what they heard while they were there. <laughs> so, yeah, <you know, clears throat> but... They're fans of my channel
2: anyway, so I'd love them. (laughs) So what else do you got going on for us? You got any stories for us tonight?
0: Yeah, actually, I got a reading from uh, Searching for the Unfindable. A new word now entering the English lexicon thanks to William, putting it in his book title and getting yelled at. (laughs) Here's what William has to say about Bigfoot tracks, and keeping in mind that William is been doing this the same amount of time as me 45 years and if you would like to meet william and you are in the area of arkansas keith crabtree the legendary boggy creek monster himself the guy that wore the suit in that most famous of all bigfoot movies 50 years ago is throwing a big outdoor camp out right down by caddo lake a notoriously very heavy bigfoot area And he's doing like a Halloween camp out. If you want to find out about it, go to his YouTube, Keith Crabtree, get all the information. It's free. They're premiering the movie Bog Man. And they have the whole cast and the crew that made the movie while they're there. And you get to hang out with a whole bunch of like for real Bigfoot researchers, including the one that I'm about to do a little reading from his book, which is William Lunsford. William says, I do not buy that Bigfoot hide their tracks so humans won't find them. They are what they are. If not, how could prints located next to windows by a peeping Tom Bigfoot be explained? How about other reports of them in close quarters with houses or in freshly plowed fields or gardens? If you think they don't know those dwellings are occupied by people, you severely underestimate their intelligence in that case and overestimate it in the other. I saw the print from an eight-footer or a witness in Texas had found in a patch of woods directly adjacent to a gun range. Three people were with him at the time. The tracks ran right beside the fence, marking the range boundary. Well, when I was up in northern Montana, there was a gun range up there, and I went walking about 75 yards in the woods and found a giant teepee structure. So gun ranges don't scare them, no. They know what guns are. They're not scared. In Arkansas, we found and photographed two clear prints in series that were on the edge of a muddy road with an observable third one where he apparently stepped onto the soft shoulder and sank to his shins. These were less than a quarter mile from a popular roadside park. I found them crossing mud puddles, rain bogs, and even cattle trails. One of the strangest places was a partial print I found in the middle of a freshly dug mole mound. Over the years, I've become friends with various members of law enforcement in the surrounding towns. When I receive a report from them about anything related to Bigfoot, I tend to take special notice. One wet spring afternoon, I talked to a county deputy who had been dispatched to a call from a local resident. That same morning, he witnessed verified prints that appeared crossing a rain-soaked country road. They ended in the brush and only 50 yards from three houses. None of the residents had ever seen anything strange before, though a few weeks earlier, one mysteriously had a goat come up missing. This goat was a billy with horns a foot and a half long. It was kept inside a wire-fence pasture protected by two great Pyrenees dogs. I put great stock in all these officers tell me, but it was an experience with another officer from a different county that really threw me for a loop. One Sunday afternoon, William and Reese's son were casting a track they had found during the previous day's hunting. It was on some land owned by the government, but where public access was still granted. Both were well-armed. Trying to be extremely sneaky with our project, William says, we looked around each time before we entered the woods. Evidently, our crossing the roadway with the needed materials had aroused the mistrust, of some distant onlookers. As we popped in and out of the woods for the final totes of supplies, a sheriff's car unexpectedly came cycling down the road, heading straight for us. It's hard to look inconspicuous when you're outfitted like a member of the A-team, but we tried anyway. Continuing what we were doing and not looking up, he pulled directly behind my truck and got out. What are you guys doing? he naturally asked. I wanted to first be sure to try and defuse any suspicion or confrontation that might result from our having guns. As Arkansas law requires, I declared to him that Reese and I were both legally armed, openly, and concealed. Then I tried to think of how best to respond without him thinking I was being a smart aleck or under the influence of drugs. So William says, well, if you'll promise not to laugh or tell anyone, I'll tell you. We're fixing to cast a Bigfoot track. If you give your word not to tell anyone what we're doing, you can follow us and watch. The officer says, really? A Bigfoot track? I want to see that. Just in case we weren't being straight with him, he used his lawman instincts to skeptically stay behind us. That was good with me, too. I was afraid that, should he lead, he might accidentally step right in the middle of it. After a short trip through the maze of bushes, I pointed towards the ground in front of us, and his eyes widened like saucers. When confronted with the reality of what he was now seeing, his expression of amazement was worth the intrusion into our efforts. For the first time in his life as an officer, he was experiencing what his training could not prepare him for. He walked over and bent forward for a closer look. That is unreal. I was sure you guys were pulling my leg. Can I take a picture to show my wife? She'll never believe it. Uh, And he has a picture of the track in the book. He called her on the spot and took photos of the print, both empty, when filled with plaster. It was an impressive memento, so large it looked more like a cavern with toes than a track. After standing there with us for a few more minutes, he then reciprocated something with us that we weren't expecting. He says, let me tell you guys something. Every night when I'm on patrol, I'm required to slowly drive down this road with my windows down, listening for anybody that might be hiding in the woods. I never get nervous anywhere except right where we are parked. Then I get that uneasy feeling that I'm being watched. As soon as I'm about 50 yards past, it goes away, but it comes back on my return trip. Then when I'm past, um, it's heading out, it goes away again, but only right there at that spot. Then the story got deeper. My daddy swears years ago, one night, one of these things crossed the road in front of his car. He didn't drink, so we know he saw something. But we all thought it was probably a bear. It happened about three miles from where we're at right now. I guess he was right. And so then William says, now you know for sure the answer to both. I'm not sure the confirmation that a Bigfoot lives where you work every night alone gave him any measure of comfort. I mean, well, but his glance my way assured me that my good intentions had failed. There are certain traits that can help identify tracks as authentic. Recognizing actual tracks is not always easy. It is when all the tracks are the same that suspicion should be aroused. Tracks that are found next to a roadway or a walk path should immediately flash a caution sign, but do not always mean they're fakes. Perfect cookie cutter tracks are a good indicator of phonies. The first thing to look for in finding tracks is something out of the ordinary, like upturned, flattened, or disturbed plants or undergrowth. And that's what most of the tracks you're going to find are going to be, just flattened down plants. The next would be impressions or divots and otherwise smooth ground. Game trails would be next. A primary reason tracks appear different is the type of environment and soil where they're found. A majority of the places that William does research are forested. Most of them are covered in at least an inch of pine needles, fallen leaves, scrub plants, Or some type of line. Plus many of the roots of the trees that grow there along the surface of the ground rather than deep into it and that type of surface does not lend itself to tracks exhibiting precise toe distinction like those found in sand, mud, or snow. And I have the same problem up here except we have even less lowland wetland soft ground and they don't call them the muddy mountains it's the rocky mountains. So finding tracks here is even more difficult. Anyway, William says, rather there will be an impression of the foot in the carpet, possibly the dirt underneath, but would require inserting your fingers in to verify the indentations made by the toes. Sometimes even this isn't the case, as Bigfoot possesses a soft sole on their foot, which they do, they call it an osman pad, which inhibits the leaving of that kind of track. The leafy matter and less wet just springs back up to its normal placement, and the only clue left might be a few upside-down leaves. Worm, dirt, pellets manufactured as crawlers process food from the ground is all not good, good for leaving detailed tracks either.
2: All the good stuff. It,
0: it's about like trying to make a snowball out of dry snow and it generally leads to more frustration than success. It's really lucky a lot of times that any tracks ever show up at all. Hmm. Then he says one of the worst scenarios a track caster can have is what is locally called gumbo mud. The type of earth where this occurs is indistinct when dry, but occurs for anyone around it when it gets wet because it gums up around whatever touches it and requires a scrubbing or jet wash to remove. It's as slick as black ice and can have you on your back or your behind quicker than breakdancing. It sticks to tires, feet, boots, shoes in clumps. All along whatever surface it touches, it pulls out in a glob. Any kind of foot that touches, it rarely appears to have toes at all, but appears as an elliptical circle which is another huge hindrance in the world of big footing. One positive thing that can be said for it is that it leaves an exact impression of the length and width. So if the print left within it is 18 inches long, you can guarantee the foot that made it is 18 inches as well. So shouldn't all prints be alike if they're made by the same kind of ansel- animal? And the, the answer to that is a simple no. Just like with people, no two footprints are exactly the same size. And, of course, there's different individuals that are different sizes and ages. Though Bigfoot does have a classic oversized stomper, not all of them are going to be 7 to 9 feet tall. So some tracks are going to be comparatively shorter with the size of the smaller creatures. So maybe undersized because of the gender or age of the animal. And he says here in southern Arkansas and northeast Texas, most of the adult prints are 15 to 17 inches long, with the width being around half the length. And that's one thing that we commonly find up here too, except the average um, size here is more like in a 17 to 19 inch range for the males. But you can usually tell um, that the, even if you can't find a complete track, you can pretty much tell how long it is. As long as you have the front part of the foot right behind the toes, the uh, ball of the foot, if you take that width and double it, that's the length of
2: the track. But it's huge,
0: huge. Yeah, well, when we were uh, that's one of the bigger tracks that we found this year. We were up in Research Area A, one of the few times we were up there. We found a 15 incher that had been squished into the sand just like a cookie cutter, only one track. And then I went a little bit further up the river and there was a little um, a little flowage that came into it there that was maybe like three feet wide. And one of the big ones had stepped across it, and he didn't step completely onto the far side. His toes came down and dug a rut in the embankment. You could see where all the toes dug out part of the embankment, and then the foot front of the foot crushed it. So the back of his foot was probably partially in the water, so he couldn't get a length on the track. But we measured across the front of it, which was 11 inches. So that one was, you know, like 21, 22 inch long foot. And it's obvious why he crushed the bank when he stepped down on it, because he was probably really, really heavy.
2: One minute to go. And of course, Duke, we always appreciate when you are on the air with us. So thank you again for coming on. And we will talk to you next week. Do me a favor in the next minute here. Tell everybody where they can find World Bigfoot Radio.
0: Well, you can find me on YouTube, Bitshoot, Rumble, Odyssey. I have support group on MeWe. That's my primary one, World Bigfoot Central. I'm also on World Bigfoot TV. Uh, if you're on Facebook, go sub that one because that will tell you when I have shows coming out that you know YouTube doesn't bother to notify you of. And, of course, I also have my main research group on YouTube, or excuse me, on Facebook, which is uh, Montana Bigfoot Project. And I will soon be setting up uh, on the formerly Twitter, now known as X, platform, which I haven't bothered to be on yet. But uh, I'm getting bugged by other people that I need to go over there and set up an account, so I'll be over there soon too.
2: It's always awesome chatting some Sasquatch with you, Super Duke, from World Bigfoot Radio. We very much appreciate your time.
0: Right on. I always love being here. Love you guys. Everybody in the chat room, take care. Don't hug the Wookiees.
2: Yeah, they're a little dangerous at times. Yeah, and sometimes they they go to give you a little love bite. They end up biting your shoulder off. But it was an accident. They didn't mean to. They didn't mean to. Nah,
0: they don't do it on purpose.
2: No. No. All right. We say thank you to Super Duke for coming on the show with the Cryptid Report. Thank you to Steve Stockton from Among the Missing. And, of course, Grant Cameron filling up the first two hours of tonight's show. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at work, at home, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight, YouTube, Twitch, LGAF, Facebook, Spreaker, LinkedIn, Space Travelers Club and on Twitter at Hashtag Spaced Out Radio Remember this show is copyrighted of Spaced this Out Radio so and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us because together my friends We're we own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot we need a favor we need you to take us home. Yes, the Woo Train has docked for the night, but soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, yep, you've got room for them too. Good night.